Welcome, everyone, to Davos Fingers' coverage of House of the Dragon. This is episode 136, covering episode 10 of House of the Dragon, The Black Queen. I'm Scatty, and with me, as always, is my buddy Matt. Hello. There he is. Welcome, everybody, to uh, our, our final episode, our final coverage of House of the Dragon, at least for season one, uh, and for a, it's supposed to be like a year and a half before season two comes out, right? Something yeah, like that? 2024. I don't oh. know even teased a month, but yeah. Jeez. Uh, so it goes without saying that this is our last House of the Dragon episode, but the same rules apply. We'll break down the episode, spoiler-free, scene by scene. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, for those of you who haven't read the book, you can drop off. For those of you that have, stick around because we'll be doing a special segment called Dragons After Dark, where we get all spoiler-ific and predict what we think might happen in season two. Maybe we'll play around with that a little bit. Season two, they might be a little more broad, a little more broad our predictions than than as specific as what's yeah, happening next episode. As specific as where's Harold Westerling, yeah. Which I totally got wrong. Guy? Which I totally got wrong in my prediction. But anyways, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, if you're interested in our coverage of Fire and Blood, these same events happen in a book that was published called Fire and Blood. Or similar events, as we'll get to in this episode. Mm. Yep. <laughs> they can be found in episode 83 of the Davos Fingers podcast. Uh, it doesn't line up perfectly. There's more in episode 83 than what's covered in this episode of House of the Dragon. Uh, the timelines are, you know, messed with a little bit from book to show. Uh, so, you know, beware of book spoilers as you listen, but uh, check out those episodes. They're good. We squeezed a lot into that episode. We really did pack a lot into uh, a couple of episodes. Um, you can check out these weekly episodes wherever you find your podcast, as well as on our YouTube channel. There is a little actual House of the Dragon playlist created that you can find, and you can watch all 10 of these suckers just back to back to back to back to back. Uh, and if you want to chat, we'd love to hear from you. You know all the ways to send us a raven. Our email address is wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. Our Twitter is at Davos Fingers. You can even leave us a comment on the YouTube channel. Uh, there's plenty of ways to find us, so just do it. So, Scad, this is the end of our uh, House of the Dragon coverage. What, what what should we do next? For now, yeah, until mm-hmm. until there are more episodes, I suppose, and then we'll we'll see. Maybe we'll have wins a winner by then, and then who will care about House of the Dragon, right? I think I saw somewhere that George said he's three quarters of the way done. Yeah, which, which is depending... this pace means twenty twenty six, twenty twenty seven. Depends on how you look at it. I'm taking a more rosy approach, which is unlike me. Anyone that listens to us regularly knows I'm a sourpuss. I am, I'm a you? negative Nancy. You? Cool. But I I think of that more as, you know, the... the, the Maybe the, the last, heavy lifting's done. The last 25% is faster than the first 75. Yeah. Because the more of those loose ends you tie up, the easier the other loose ends are to tie up, right? So it should be, I don't know about exponentially faster, but it should be faster. I'd like to think so. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? I would. Um, so... Yeah, what's next? We are going to, toward the tail end of this year, we're going to do a couple more Meet the Calisar episodes. Why not? We explored for, gosh, like 20 episodes we did a lot or so. A lot, um, yeah. They were a blast to get to meet some some friends in the fandom. And so we're going to go with a couple more couple more episodes and a couple su- surprise guests. Yep. Look forward to that. 
and uh you're either gonna really like it or really hate it probably both which is probably how you approach every Davos Fingers (laughs) episode (laughs) wish they'd shut up (laughs) move on it's just a dress uh and then we'll have some more announcements coming later about uh, about where our content's headed coming into the new year and things like that. So look forward to those. Ready to dive into the episode, Matt? I'm ready to dive into the season finale of season one of House of the Dragon. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, really, it really dives in quick and with a scene that really grabs you of a mom talking to her son about duty. 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 How about that freaking table, though, at Dragonstone, yeah. huh? Yeah, the table's nice. We don't get the full effect until later, but we do see it in this in this scene. Lucas caressing Driftmark longingly and also somewhat afraid, I think, of the duty that might befall him. What we learn is that, well, we learned a couple episodes ago, Colas is very sick uh, and may not live. And Luke is ter- kind of terrified of taking on that mantle. I really like that, actually. I like that they gave us that little... Uh, wrinkle in his character. When you read Fire and Blood, it it doesn't get too into the actual personalities of the boys. No. In fact, a lot of it is Luke and Jace together. Jace and Luke said this. Jace and Luke did this. You know, and, and you really, yeah. yeah, and Joffrey's in there. But you really kind of get the impression that they could almost be twins or something. They're very close in age. And I really like that Jace strikes me as more like action oriented. He accepts things as they are. He's able to just be like, you know, I don't look like a Targaryen, but I'm going to be a Targaryen. Dang it. And he's going to, you know, push forward regardless of anything. Luke is a lot more cautious. He's thoughtful. He's kind of cynical. He's kind of not comfortable in his own skin. He says, I'll just ruin everything. He tells his mom. Um, And I like that we get kind of those different personalities between the kids. I like that too. I wouldn't have called it out, but I, I, I do like it. He, you're right. He, Jay seems more self-assured and accepting of the mantle that's being handled to him. And Luke is kind of less certain of himself. Right. It's, yeah. It's interesting to see. He reminds me of uh, my own kid. I, I told, told you before we hit record here that I had two hockey practices tonight my, for my son, Chewy. He loves hockey and he is so afraid of screwing up. If he has a bad practice, he was so upset this last practice because he didn't score a single goal in oh, practice really? because that's what you do in, in practices, score goals, right? No, goals don't matter in practice. And he just is beating himself up over it. And, you know, I'll just ruin everything. And uh, Luke maybe isn't that dramatic, but you can tell that he feels that weight and that pressure to perform. And it's... Uh, it's it's kind of tough when he can't, when he feels like he can't. Yeah. We don't choose our destiny, it chooses us, Rhaenyra tells him. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I kind of hate that, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I, it's a Targaryen thing to say, I suppose. It totally is. It totally but, is. Yeah. Okay. I totally respect, you know, what Rainier is doing to try to comfort him and everything. But uh, yeah, some of the stuff. My father looked after me and helped me prepare to my do prepare to do my duties. Did he? Did he? Okay. Did he, did okay. he really? We're giving him and, some credit for that. And, okay. And even more bullshit. And the Rainier stands are going to hate me for it. In time, I realized I had to earn my inheritance. Oh shit! When? What? What? Did, when did she start acting like she needed to earn this? Hey, she I went to a couple council meetings. 
she went to some council meetings, but she, she always felt entitled to me. Not like she had to like put her nose to the grindstone and earn this right. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, I feel yeah. going back to Jace, I feel like he's, I feel he's trying to earn that. I mean, maybe the sting of bastardy has, has he kind feels, of yeah. a real chip on his shoulder like he about has, it. Chip on his shoulder is a great way to describe it for him. Yeah. But I don't feel like Rhaenyra ever felt like she needed to earn it. You know, right. yeah. she didn't have it for a while and maybe she felt slighted. And then she was given it. But once she was given it, it kind of felt like she was just like, all right, it's mine. There was that scene in the streets, right? Where she's just like, it doesn't matter what the people think. Mm-hmm. You know? And her father kind of enabled her in that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, um, I, I just want to point out that I was completely wrong. I thought that they would combine perhaps the stories of Stefan Darklin and um, Laurent Marbrand yeah. into the Harold Westerling character and that he would go to uh dragonstone and kind of be rainier's barrist and sell me or whatever no they introduced those two exact characters for us and <laughs> they did still switch some things around which we'll get to uh, but we very much have lauren marbrand and stefan darklin who and harold westerling is out i don't Somewhere. know rowing the narrow sea with gendry he's, or something i don't know and leonor he's but. waiting for there to be a king that's what he said right <laughs> probably um, now there's two look what you've done uh, how are your loins, Matt? We got a Marbrand this episode. You're, yeah, a, bit of, you're I, a bit of a Marbrand fan. I'm a bit of a Marbrand fan. They, they don't yeah. quite Maybe do it for Adam. me, like uh, like uh, like a certain Tyrell does. But you know, I could definitely see me having drinks with a Marbrand if you had drinks. The if I if I drink or a Mountain Dew, yeah. Mountain Dew. I'd do a dirty Mountain Dew yeah. with like flavors in it and stuff. You know, Ooh, nice suicide. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what they still call them? It's probably not PC to call them that anymore. Probably not. Uh, probably not. <laughs> Apologies if I just triggered anyone. That's, I did not think about it back in my movies nine days of filling the drinks with every single thing. That's that was the term for it. So, all right. So we you got anything else for this scene here? No, I don't. Luke clearly thinks that. The, this the Marbrand coming in to make an announcement is about Corlys's death. You can see the fear in his eyes right then. Correct. But it's yeah. not. No. Rainus delivers the heavy news in the next scene. Matt, what is it? Oh boy. So she comes right in and you can tell that she kind of takes a breath and she just says it. Which Rainus yeah. has a talent for doing. She yep. gets she cuts right to the point and says Viserys is dead. Yeah. She lets it sit for just a second and then she says <coughs> And Aegon's been crown king. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you ever been expecting bad news and then you get worse news? Oh my goodness, yeah. That's that's what just happened to Rhaenyra. She was expecting to hear Corlys had died. Bad news. Bad she news. Viserys is dead. And oh, by the way, Aegon's taking your crown. Right. And, you know, also in the similar breath, it's, you ever had one of those things where like you've had ages to get ready for something, to plan for it and to prepare and then you don't do it, and you don't do it, and then it happens, and suddenly you're like, holy shit, I, why did I plan for this? Crap. I think I've done that with some of these episodes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't noticed you've been marvelously prepared. Oh, right back at you. No, no, but uh, I don't mean to make light of what you're saying. It's absolutely true. And um, what a master class from all three of these actors in this scene. That's what just struck me from the very first watch. Damon's face as he turns to Rainey's when she says Viserys is dead. He has that like sincere sadness 
it's the softest I've ever seen uh, Damon's face. It doesn't last long. It doesn't last long. Nope. Rainier is struggling. You see it in her eyes. She's struggling to even grasp what's happening. Rainier's, you can see that like this isn't easy for her, but so but she's so she's trying to stay blunt, but there's also a bit of compassion to her. Oh my gosh, it was just just those scenes when she delivers that initial news is just oh, I loved it from all three actors. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're definitely showing some pain in, in some different ways. Uh, I mean Rainier physical pain. I mean she yeah. It's almost as if it's almost as if this news causes her to miscarry. Which I think was kind of what you predicted. Right? Uh, in Dragons After Dark. I think you said that. Well, I kind of. I oh, I, I said I a little different. Luke. Luke. I predicted Luke would cause it yeah. cause her to miscarry because I thought that uh I thought I remembered seeing in the preview that she was standing and upright receiving this news, and she is. Um but uh, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I predict it's a little bit differently. Um, but in in Fire and Blood, it is still different than Fire and Blood. In Fire and Blood, mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. in the birthing bed already. Like I think when it when she gets that news, right? And um, yeah, bad bad stuff. Mm. Uh, and of course, like you said, Damon immediately goes. Uh, well, not immediately. He takes a moment. You mm-hmm. can see it. But Damon is one of those worst case scenario people, <laughs> or he's just trying to twist uh, events to fit his hatred of the high towers. And immediately he goes to, he was killed. Yeah, he he's a he's not a I'm going to take that and internally process it and deal with it in a healthy way kind of guy. He's a let me lash out at other people and deal with that. Oh yes, and, for sure. You know, yeah, seven stages of grief and all that. I mean, certainly we all deal with these things in our own our own ways and most people go through multiple of these stages right um, mm-hmm. but yeah david almost immediately other than this moment of softness where you see real sadness for him almost immediately assumes it's murder almost immediately and and you wonder <laughs> he's not the only one that did that beesbury pretty immediately jumped to murder too so mm-hmm. he's not alone uh it's it's certainly something that you could you can see it you can see it you can Mm -hmm. you can put those dominoes together in that way yep and uh i wonder if damon wouldn't if he would have jumped to murder if aeon hadn't been crowned right right if he had just died and they hadn't crowned him would he have still thought murder i wonder right yep i get it i totally get it actually from damon um and i can see why you'd think that Oh, the king is dead, and all of a sudden, the son is the new king. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It, and then he lashes out at Rayanus too. You could have done something about this. You could have burned yeah. him for it. Uh huh. In a Rayus, microcosm of what the fandom had been saying for the last yes. week. <laughs> and Rayanus answered the fandom and Damon in what I think a lot of us kind of were saying, like that's it's not really in her character to do that. It's not her right to do it either. Yeah, she's not the one that's going to you know benefit from this war, and it's not it's not hers to do. Right. And I liked it. I thought it was a good moment from her. She doesn't back down from anybody. I love it. Right. But she's, she's also one of my favorite pieces of the show. Absolutely. Like I always thought, ah, oh, Rainey's the queen who never was. She's cool. She's in Fire and Blood. Like she's a great character. You know, she's great. But this 
And of course, everybody knows, you know, Sked, you're sick of me talking about it. Eve Best's portrayal of her. Isn't it crazy how an actor can help you appreciate a character even more? And that is absolutely the case with Rannies. Now she's one of my favorite Fire and Blood characters. Still wish they'd have given her black hair. Black hair. Uh, I thought that she's a Baratheon, damn it. She really is. Come on, guys. Give her a beard or something. Joking. <laughs> um, but I, I thought back to a scene that felt kind of funny, like almost like a throwaway scene a few epi- a couple episodes ago, where she is watching the silent sisters prepare Vaemon's corpse, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And she talks about all the uh the stranger how the stranger has afflicted her and her family so much and to me that scene whereas before i was like oh that's a nice scene but it feels kind of shoehorned in it felt like you know if they were deleting scenes to get you know the episode down to a certain time that could be a scene that you would cut but that that helped make this this scene helped that scene make a little more sense to me how so in the sense that all this death that she has experienced, especially mm. recently. And you talked, you talked about it in that episode that, you know, Vaymond was really, you know, tugging her chain before he died, but they have its history together, a long yeah. history together of being family, not to mention Leonor, who she think, thinks is dead. Lena, who actually is dead. Rannies has experienced a lot of loss and a lot of death. So it's not something that she is going to dole out casually. Yeah. Um, and well, casually, maybe is not the right word for it, but, uh, all of that together has helped all of this kind of make more sense. And I think it really stays consistent to her character throughout the run of the show, which is the point I'm trying to make is, uh, it's cool how these little scenes kind of compile together to maybe make sense later on and build, yeah. And build the character. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, she also tells them to leave Dragonstone at once, mm-hmm. which was weird. I I didn't really get it. I thought maybe it was a little bit of a parallel to Ned telling Cersei to do the same thing with her family, mm-hmm. like get mm-hmm. out. You mm-hmm. you're you're going. It's not going to end well for you unless you leave. Right. Um, which is an interesting take in Fire and Blood. She's a lot of differences with Rainus in Fire and Blood. I mean, she's kind of ringing the war bell. Uh, and saying she's the one that comes up with the idea of you know the dragons i think in fire and blood of that they Mm. have more of them or there's a few of them kind of that share that idea but right um you know she's very much feels like she's telling her to get out you know this is not a fight you are gonna win yeah maybe i was like where would they go across the narrow sea essos yeah seems like it damon's done that before right right yeah knows that he's got haunts that he can go Back to Pentos or something. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, uh, then we get this tragically beautiful dichotomy of a scene where, well, not dichotomy, but where you've got Rhaenyra in a callback to what her mother Emma said about a a queen's place being in the birthing bed, right? Mm -hmm. Or queen's battle or queen's war Mm -hmm. being in the birthing bed. Um, as Rhaenyra prepares to give birth and Damon prepares for actual battle or at least the defense of Dragonstone, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's immediately made apparent and Aowen, my wife, 
also immediately she's just like she doesn't look ready right this baby this baby is very early um and they tell us that in the show as well 11 um, weeks or something yeah yeah, yeah. and so we know it's not going to go well and you know they're playing with a theme here of you know this news this uh, trauma kind of causing this miscarriage but it, i mean skipping ahead i guess to the actual birth but you know i think it was going to happen anyway yeah based on the state of this child mm-hmm. but yeah it's pretty tragic you're right so in a, in a parallel we have damon getting you know we have her struggling uh, on her battlefield we have damon prepping his battlefield which is really her battlefield it's right. she's the queen it's her battle to fight and she kind of takes some umbrage to that right oh yeah you definitely see that throughout the episode of him saying well i've already i've already done this again we're skipping ahead and she's like oh <laughs> this yeah. looks that she gives him um he's pretty prudent in the preparations he's making yeah uh, but he's also very enthusiastic about it. Like this is the moment he's been waiting for. Like he has just been waiting for the moment to strike at the high towers. And now that it's here, oh, he's ready. Yeah. Ready and also not ready. Like if if like if they really thought this was going to come, there's so much more they could have done and been ready to like sure. We can come back. We'll come back to well, all that when we talk about yeah. some of the other prep. But he is he is uh he is he's in his element of, yes he's capable of doing this he's in his element he's ready he knows exactly what to do to defend this place he's probably you know like the other night i i i woke up in the middle of the night and i realized i was having soccer dreams i haven't played soccer in a damn day <laughs> more than that probably right i'm old now i don't play anymore i used to play a lot and i was passing good i was okay but uh but i i thought about it all the time i dreamt about it i thought about it. i replayed moments from my games in my head i you know always thinking about it mm -hmm. he's probably been thinking about how to defend dragonstone for his whole life he's probably he's probably been thinking about that forever so this is yeah second nature to him right yeah uh rainera says to jace and luke he's gone to plot his war he's yes. always had that vendetta and yep. he's always wanted to strike at the high towers. And you're right. He's probably always thought about defending Dragonstone. I know like my best friend who is a uh, former Marine and everything, like whenever he goes into any type of place, whether it be a store or another home oh, yeah. or something, he's always thinking about exit points and how he would defend himself in like an active shooter situation. <laughs> like he just yeah. does that like second nature. And uh that's anxiety on a whole level I could not handle. Yeah. To him, it's almost like fun. And uh, yeah, I don't understand it, but yeah, this is fine. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So uh, she uses that. He's got to plot his war more as a, not a casual thing, but as a warning almost like, don't let him. Right. Not, don't let them do stuff. Not as be done, but by my command, she says mm -hmm. to Jace. Right. Jace, like a dutiful son goes. And we're kind of skipping through the scenes here quickly. That's fine. They do, yeah, they do happen can, quickly. They move pretty quick, yeah. But um, Jace does. He goes and he tries to stop Damon, who basically ignores him. <laughs> Just as like he's ignoring uh, Rhaenyra's screams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Damon doesn't. He's not in there helping her. He's She's even yelling, Damon! Damon! 
And he just, yeah. He's like, what are you guys looking at? What are you? Yeah. I didn't notice she was yelling Damon. I heard screams, but only like twice she yells like Dave. I I mean, totally different scenarios. It's hard to imagine not being there when your wife goes through something like this. But as, as we see in this episode, I think their relationship is maybe different than we've been led to believe Mm -hmm. over these last few episodes. And We'll come back to that with the storytelling later, maybe. But, um, you know, he is, he's not there for her. He is off doing his own thing, which he probably thinks is more important. Um, and straight up ignores Jace's commands to stop. Has Bartimus Celtigar send ravens, um, despite Jace telling him to stop everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing we'll talk maybe more about is Damon's got a lot of emotional stuff going on with him and one thing that he's pretty incapable of doing i've noticed in this episode and as i think back to earlier episodes i see it too he's he he doesn't do a good job at consoling or helping others in their grief or in their times of need yeah he he just doesn't it's not within him to just like put his hand on someone's shoulder or something and just be like it's gonna be okay but you know he did that at emma's death though Correct. That's the one time where it was like, and it was with Rhaenyra. Yeah. Maybe ironically enough <laughs> that yeah. he was really, he was really there for her. But it was also kind of on behalf of Viserys. It was to Rhaenyra, mm-hmm. but also kind of on behalf of Viserys. But yeah, um, I agree with you. And there are people very much like that. I, I think I'm maybe a little bit like that. I'm not. I'm not great at consoling and yeah, helping people deal with their grief. I don't. I don't think it's a strength of mine for sure. There are definitely people like that. Even like then, um. When he was uh, at the scene when they went and saw Viserys for the first time and saw him in his very emaciated state, and he like immediately started talking about business stuff, right? Of we need to do this and this and yes. this and this. Remember, like yes. he he can't process those emotions. Yes. Uh, the, 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 there are people that are like this. As soon as correct. as soon as something bad happens, they turn to work. Mm-hmm. That's how they deal with grief. That's how they deal with trouble. That's how they they, they think they they need to go to something that they can control. Right. right. And Damon very much can better control this. And for the, for the, you know, for the green supporters in the fandom that feared Damon would just be in control and wreck shit. And for the greens in the story that feared that Damon would just take control and wreck shit and kill everyone and be, you know, um, you know, the prince of, what do they call him again? The, uh, in this, this, this uh, I forgot what they call him, but you know, the, this, evil guy that's running around king's landing just kind of killing whoever he wants and turning mm-hmm. king's landing into a cesspool yeah, this is kind of evidence he is taking control away from rhaenyra immediately right mm-hmm. and the greens feared that they feared that it would actually be Damon's rule so. and it's yeah, yeah early early indications are that he would at least try <laughs> yeah <laughs> how about um, the pronunciation of vermax it's Veer Max. Veer Max. Which is not Veer Max. Um, yeah. Taraxis. I like I just like listening to Matt Smith talk. He's so, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we kind of glossed over this, but before Jason Luke went to Rhaenyra, uh, they were out fighting on the beach under yeah. the tutelage of Stefan Darklin. And um Jason a moment really just he wrecks luke right 
he totally gets him on the ground and he's screaming at him for messing up. And Luke's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It really goes to show the difference between the two personalities. It reminded me of the way that Cole, Kristen Cole, was teaching them to fight in the yard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you could see that uh, Jace internalizes those early lessons. He he's he's done that before and he's doing it here of he's internalizing that early lesson and he is not going to get beat like he got beat by Aegon that one day um, and and we don't we haven't seen much of them training since then mm-hmm. and um well any i don't think but i also wonder if you know on days after returning from king's landing when amond took control of that dinner scene through intimidation and violence essentially and you know jay stood up for himself he threw a punch and connected and didn't back down but i wonder if he looked and is like oh shit i have i have to work harder at this yeah this is because aemon kind of ragdolled him after that yeah he kind of just like pushed him down pushed him over like i gotta work harder for this because this is going to be a thing Mm -hmm. for us in the future somehow and luke you need to too yeah exactly so that's why he's going down on luke so hard yeah so we have king's guard Yes, we do. Damon takes them out and basically threatens them with Caraxes. Who are you going to be loyal to? And if it's not us, you're getting burninated right now. Yeah, you have two choices. Well, you have three choices. You can swear loyalty and everything will be great. You can not swear loyalty and I'll kill you quickly. Well, my dragon will. Uh, or you can say you're loyal, betray us later, and you'll die screaming. Which some good choices. If he killed them now with Caraxes fire, they're definitely going to die screaming. I feel like they're screaming <laughs> so, still involved in that. But I'm not sure there's a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they they both make the right choice miraculously. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like they're both probably going to make that choice anyway. It feels like, you know, Damon maybe over the top with these threats. It's like, just ask him first, maybe. Yeah, but, but you um, need to take him outside. Yeah, like I guess I guess it's a nice threat, kind of like Aegon touring the realm with his dragon. Like it's it's nice for them to see the visual and know what's coming if they do step out of line. Yeah, I suppose it makes sense. I don't uh, necessarily blame Damon for doing it, but uh, the impression I got from these Kingsguard guys is that they're in. Like, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't with Caraxes, Matt. I just can't. He looks so damn goofy. He looks, he looks I laugh. Big long neck. Every time he comes on screen, I laugh. I can't. I can't stand him. I know people like him and his design, but it's just not doing it for me. It is kind of different in the in the. Uh, I can't remember if it's one of the post episode things or. Do you, have you seen any of the documentary episodes on the making of each episode on well, HBO I Max? All of the post, yeah, the post stuff. There's there's additional. There's like 30 oh. minute making of episodes oh. on HBO Max for each episode. No, I didn't know. I didn't I've know, only watched the first. Uh, I only watched like the first four, and they're really good. They're really interesting. Um, they go a lot into the special effects and things like that. And one of uh, one of the people, one of the writers, talks about how Caraxes was meant to have like a deformity or like a physical mm. something that was wrong with him anyway. And that's with the long neck and everything. 
I don't know what it was. I didn't talk about anything beyond that. She's like, <laughs> but, but she, she brought it up almost like it was like a fact that George R. R. Martin himself had stated, which I don't remember seeing anywhere of, yeah, Caraxes has this disability and he looks different, like a deformity. Um, but when he, yeah, it makes him even more fearsome when he flies because he almost looks like a flying serpent or something. Yeah. And there are, you know, in dragon lore, there are those kind of more like long serpenty dragons that, that mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, you know, this is a kind of a mix. That's interesting. I've never, I'd never heard that before. I'll have to go, I hadn't go, either. Try to find that. Yeah. And I didn't see it anywhere in text. Anyway, what is cool about Caraxes is the bond he has with Damon. So I yeah. this out before in previous right. episodes. Uh-huh. I don't really get it. Like they seem to just know when to come around the rocks and be intimidating. <laughs> the cue. They're just like, just broke. <laughs> yeah, it's like they have the, the, their mental bond is strong enough that they can almost just talk to each other telepathically or sense their emotions and know when they're needed, at least, or something. Correct. It's, it's interesting. And I think it's a theme in this episode a little bit the strong bond versus the weak bond uh, or weaker bonds of other dragons and their dragon riders, um, you know, set up for later in this episode and i think later in the series perhaps as well yeah it'll be interesting to see yeah we saw this happen back when damon and otto and rhaenyra met at dragonstone the first time Mm -hmm. right we had caraxes come around Uh, even when that scene where damon's fighting in the stepstones and he takes the arrow Mm -hmm. right and it's caraxes that screams yep correct yeah so yeah point well taken and in this scene, we, uh, we've we got um, Rhaenyra giving birth, and she's obviously in a lot of pain and suffering, and it, it showed little bits of Cyrax, right? Screaming yep. and kissing and obviously agitated as well. Yeah. Again, I, yeah, I think I meant to show that strong connection. Right. Yeah. Um, I wonder if this, uh, if we're going to be seeing a power struggle between Damon and Jace, is this an ongoing thing? Do you wonder if they've always kind of had like a little bit of a oldest son and stepdad kind of not quite a rivalry, but headbutting? We I haven't mean, we haven't had a very big sample size of what family life is like. Yeah, I get the question, Matt. I think it's simpler than that. Damon's a bad dad. Mm. He's mm-hmm. just not. He's just. I mean, forget dad. He's not a good person. He's not, he's not there for their growth. He's not there for helping them probably even train. He, he's, he's interested in dragons and dragon lore and violence and, and that's it. fucking women. I mean, he's, he's in it for himself, and he's probably just a bad dad. I mean, I think we kind of saw it with Rayna earlier. Um, he connects with Bela a little bit, but I know. Everybody hates how much I hate Damon, but he, he sucks. He's a bad person, and I, I think assuming that Maybe there's a little bit of, you know, Jace is finally old enough to be taking responsibility and Damon maybe resents that or something and resents that Rhaenyra maybe looks to Jace at times. But it feels simpler than that to me. It's just like Damon treats these kids like he treats everyone. Yeah. Shittily. I I pointed out in the dinner scene after the the little fight that Damon cowed Jace with just a glance. Remember, he stood Mm -hmm. in front of Jace and just looked at him. Mm-hmm. And Jace was like, yep. backed off. <laughs> and and uh, so kind of that rule by fear. Yeah, I'm not saying. Is, there's inklings of that. I'm not saying he beats them or anything. I'm not, you know, no. I'm it's just that he's absent and not that interested. Right. Right. 
which can be pretty damaging in its own life. And and maybe relies on fear though when he needs to. Yes. Yeah. And when like Jace is stepping up, when Jace is finally stepping back up to him, you know? Yeah. He probably doesn't like it very much. It's an interesting line of question. I think probably my <laughs> my predispositions toward Damon maybe not even question <laughs> ahead of time. But now that you've asked it. Like yep. Yep. Um, well, this is a tough one to talk about, but should we talk Very about this, uh, the birth Rhaenyra having this baby? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a, a lot to say about it. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a theme throughout this season, at least of the show that birth is hard and dangerous and painful and something that women sh- do and should fear and something that men take for granted Mm -hmm. uh you know and we see that laid out right in front of us luckily she doesn't die like lena probably was going to and like emma did Uh um you know but it's brutal in its own way yeah did you have any thoughts on why she refused help and why it was why she was so adamant about doing it herself no, I, yeah, yeah the, I mean, I don't, my, my, my main thought was just, it wouldn't have mattered. I don't think help would have mattered. You know, if this, you think she knew the child wasn't going to survive. Yeah. But, I, but I, still I got that impression as well. Maybe if I'm digging for a reason that she refused help, maybe she felt like she had let the baby down mm-hmm. that she hadn't provided it safe, you know, safe passage to life. And, that yeah. she didn't that that Rhaenyra herself didn't deserve help. Maybe she felt that about herself. Mm, I like that. Um, well, I don't, I don't like know. it, but yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, it feels pretty thin, right? But I can't really think of a, a reason. Would be interesting to have a female perspective on that. If, it would be, yeah. But our friends <laughs> that uh, would be able to speak to this with <laughs> way more authority than yeah. we have, which is zero. Yep. Uh, I was wondering if she was trying to. You know, she felt like things were spiraling out of control. Her dad died. Her crown's been taken away from her. This is something mm. that she can do. Um, the but, illusion of control. Yeah. Of this birth, yeah. even though it's not going to end the way that she wants. The The book says the child had not been due for another turn of the moon, but the tidings from King's Landing had driven the princess into a black fury, and her rage seemed to bring on the birth as if the babe inside her were angry too and fighting to get out. Um, you definitely saw her going into a fury. Um, yeah. The dragon came out, which was interesting. I, I, she told Viserys back when she had Joffrey that she had called the, the birthing assistant, the midwife, a, a, a not nice word. And so you get the impression that maybe that happens when she, you're having a baby, which I would understand. I can't imagine the types of things I would be saying. Um, but uh, this episode did a really good job of, yes, changing a lot kind of big things, but they did us some nice fan service by keying in on a lot of little details and making sure those made it into the episode, like her yes. yelling, get out, mm. get out, which yeah. is a very prominent part of the the passage in the book. Um yeah. We've given a lot of credit to Matt Smith and, and Patty Considine and maybe not enough to Emma. I mean, they, yeah, this scene from Emma, they just 
two birth scenes. I mean, this is but this scene was oh my gosh, brutal. Just you know, like I always, I always get you know indulged over you know tight shots on people's faces dealing with emotion and anguish and and you know well delivered lines and cadence and things like that. That's what I really like about acting. But the physical component of acting, the real acting part of acting, is really probably the hardest thing to get right and convey mm-hmm. and emma does it so well in this scene just like the physical pain that's racking her body mm-hmm. right and the need to to be in this position to expel this this poor fetus and they just do such a good job in this scene it's so good i i, I watched the episode at least three times everyone before we talk about it I couldn't yep. watch this scene the second time. Yeah. I had to skip it. The, I mean, when she gets the baby out and the, that camera shot of the little baby's leg and little toes, feet are my favorite part of a baby. I love their little feet. I just sit and play with their little feet. Don't tell Larry. Uh, it was <laughs> um, not that kind of foot fascination. Uh, they're just cute. That was hard. That was hard. I, I watched it and I studied it. And this, I don't know if you noticed on your one watch, this baby two watch, has horns. Two watch. And scales. And, scale, and some scales. You can kind of see it looking. on kind of little baby's back and shoulders and stuff. But also like bumps scales. on the head that look almost like horns. Yeah. Almost. I was wondering if that was just kind of like a deformity yeah. from, from birth. You know, sometimes it happens with their skulls. But I can see yeah. what you're saying, that it kind of is a little dragony shaped. and. It could have been. It, the book, it could have been. For those that haven't read the book, it, it talks about when she gave birth that the, dra- the baby had scales and kind of had a hole where its heart should have been. It was tragically deformed. This one didn't seem like quite as much, but they gave us little hints of what the book yeah. talked about. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you could graphically show a hole where the heart is. Yeah, uh, which feels very much in Fire and Blood like a metaphor for mm-hmm. something. I didn't ever really figure out exactly. Like, are they saying Rainier is heartless? I don't think so. Not not at this point. But it, it could be. It could be that this uh, that that this moment kind of robbed her of her heart, right? Yeah, and we'll we'll see definitely. that it's a, a little bit different um, mm-hmm. as this episode creeps along. But um, yeah, it, it, it's brutal yeah it's hard yeah uh fact they named the child visenya in the book for those wondering they did um then we move on to a funeral yeah yeah i and yeah in fire and blood the coronation of egg on itself and the childbirth failure push Rhaenyra to immediate action right it's a it's a difference from what you see in in this episode mm-hmm. um it hardens her heart immediately and in this burial scene what you still have I think is a grieving not angry Rhaenyra which is For nice sure. it's a good yep. change I liked uh, it I like it it fits mm-hmm. um in fire and blood they stole my crown and murdered my daughter and they shall answer for it right and right. so it's an interesting change that she's doing more grieving, more thoughtful processing over all of this, which I think would be absolutely normal. Um, I think it's a good change. There's some lovely moments there. Damon standing next to her and he kind of gives her this look. He like turns and looks at her almost like he wants to comfort her or wants to do something, but he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, some lovely moments. 
And, you know, we saw that you mentioned that scene with Rayanus and the Silent Sisters preparing um, the, the body of Amon. Uh, and we see it also, I think, with Viserys in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Alicent coming up to the body afterward and having a moment. Uh, Rhaenyra is doing the prepping of, of yeah. the infant's body and the wrapping of it. And the Silent mm-hmm. Sisters are in the back watching. So it's, it's uh, a little bit more of a personal touch. Right. It was hard, but I, I thought it was it was nice in its way. Yeah, it was nice. It's, for a terrible thing, it was as nice as a terrible thing can be. Right. So they're it's at not, this funeral. It's not natural for a parent to outlive their children. As, Man. As uh, the king of Rohan says. Yep. Yep. Um... So they're at this funeral, and a member of the Kingsguard approaches. And Stefan Darklin and Laurent Marbrand draw their swords, right? Come no further. And he's like, don't worry, guys, it's cool. And they're like, oh, okay. And they put their swords okay. back. Like, <laughs> I trust you. I would have been like, okay, well, take out your sword first, Eric. Like, yeah. And I mean, you seem fine, but. I mean no harm. We Yeah, we got to do this a certain way, buddy. There's protocols <laughs> to follow here. <laughs> Which is exactly what someone who meant harm would say. <laughs> right. Uh, but of course, um, this is where we get a little bit of a change. And I liked the change. In the book, it is Stefan Darklin who uh, escapes to Dragonstone. Uh, and he brings along Viserys' crown. In the show, they may, it looked like Stefan Darklin was already kind of assigned to protect Rhaenyra at Dragonstone. He was already there along with Marbrand. And it was Eric Cargill who, as he's leaving, brings the crown with him. I liked it. Worked for me. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a change. So she's got three Kingsguard here. I think in the book she's only got two, two when, yeah. when uh, Darklin makes it. But I'm not, sure, mm-hmm. I'm not certain about that. But It is. It's just the two of them. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Eric swears vows to to Rhaenyra. I looked it up, and and we we don't have like a recorded written down like we do the Night's Watch vows of the vows the Kingsguard take, but many of them are similar all in some parts word for word to the Night's Watch vows, which I thought was mm-hmm. fascinating. That I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. That's taken mm-hmm. straight from the old Night's Watch. I noticed that one. Um, uh, and then others are kind of similar ish but then you get into some guard her secrets obey her commands right at her side right defend her, her side. name and her honor yeah 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 it was nice to hear it it was a, a nice little scene it didn't you know it didn't move a huge emotional needle for me but it was <laughs> it was kind of nice to hear those vows that we don't haven't heard before and um you wonder why they didn't make the other two guys swear that way but okay yeah while we're at <laughs> it maybe they already did maybe they did maybe mm-hmm. they can't show everything they don't show them pooping and peeing either, Matt. They do those things. They do? I'm sure they do. I hope they do. Gross. Uh, my main thought with the crown is I'm glad all these people have the same size head. Everything seems to work out, Everything doesn't it? Everything seems to just fit okay. <laughs> I went to get my wedding ring resized, and turns out you can't resize tungsten. So, Oh, really? I'm just out of luck. Yeah, I actually got one of those cool like rubbery rings. Oh, nice sort of one, and I actually yeah. quite like it. Yeah, 
Wiring is not tungsten. I can't remember what it is now. I've forgotten the name of the metal. But uh, it was like $60. So if it ever doesn't yeah. fill, I'll just get a new one. Right. Yep. Yep. That was, a, that was a sidebar. Yep. My bad. So they uh, all kneel. They all kneel. It's a nice impromptu crowning. Impromptu Let's just do crowning. This thing. Yeah. They all kneel, except Rayanus kneels yeah. to no one. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Like I she's thought it was just, very cool. She's so politically savvy. She's like, this isn't my place to kneel. My yep. family hasn't declared for this. And But interesting to note that Raina and Bela did kneel. Mm-hmm. It's their mother. It's their, well, stepmom. It's their stepmom. Slash aunt. Aunt. Right? I think. Yeah, because Lenor's their uncle. So. <laughs> but their dad is her uncle. Dad is her uncle, so so that would make them their like cousins. cousins too. Yeah, yeah, cousins. cousins. Yeah, yep. Targaryen family madness. <laughs> uh, anything else on the crowning? Um, you know, slightly different from the book in that uh, they had held kind of a hasty coronation the day after Stefan Darklin arrived. Here's just a tiny bit different, but it was still done after the crown arrived. But this was very like impromptu, like they weren't yeah. planning on this. Yeah. And the crown's here, and Damon takes matters into his own hands and just says, just "Do it." Well, we've got a crown. We've got you. We've got people around. Here it is, man. That roller coaster of emotions, though, going right. from finding out your dad has died to delivering your own stillborn child to then, um, I was going to say burying that child, but you know going through the funeral process for that child and then being crowned queen. Yeah. All and in then going the day's work. And then going straight into earning that with a council session. Right? Yeah. I just almost right. walked straight from there into the room, right. To go start. Let's planning. get started. But so, uh, just as we're wrapping that up, I love what you said about Rainey's too, that she's, this isn't her place to yeah. kneel yet. But I also think, you know, we talked about last episode, I posited that she was kind of feeling Alicent out you know, mm. to see if it was someone she could support. I think with anything, Rannies is looking for someone to believe in or something to believe in. Um, there's a song called Give Me Something to Believe In. And that was running through my head the whole time. Rainies is looking for something to believe in. And she's still unsure about Rainera. You need but the poison version. Give me something to believe in. Oh, no. This was the new respects. Sibling band out of Nashville. From when? Uh, recent. Yeah. Okay. Last. So you're saying seven years? First. Sure. But New Respects did it better. Oh, you haven't even heard it. I haven't. Nope. Nope. Talking out my butt. And I haven't heard yours either. Okay. Well, look at us. Um, council session. This wouldn't be a house house of dragon without a council session. At least one. I want to go back. Has there been at least one council session in every single episode? I can't think of one where there wasn't. Yeah, I don't want to waste everyone's time while yeah. we sit here and think, yeah. but, it's not. but but probably not. Mm-hmm. There's probably been one in every one. I think there's at least one in every single one. And here we get we get the table in its final form in this <gasps> council session with the fire underneath and illuminating from below. So cool. Uh, and... The fandom is asking the right questions on Twitter. Why didn't Stannis do this? Is he just so bland that he's like, ah, oh, forget the fire. We can. Oh, it's too much work. Yeah. 
they these tables will definitely be sold, be made and sold by somebody. And oh, they'll be like two thousand dollars and money well spent. I bet more than that. Yeah. I don't know, man. Man. I'm just throwing a few. Depends on how intricate they get, I guess. Right. Yeah. I'm horny for the table. I want one. They're very cool. At first I was like, I want more detail about the different lands and everything and houses. And then I realized Aegon made it before there were all these, you know, like yep. the place sure. changed a lot. So yep. sure. I liked it. Uh what what to say about this? I mean, they're they're kind of going through what they've got going for them. Most a lot of that's straight out of fire and blood, the number of troops and soldiers and stuff they have in Dragonstone, mm-hmm. the the houses that are already in support, the houses that should support them, like Aaron, Stark, and Baratheon that don't yet. Uh, Tully needs to be convinced. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. It's it's very just kind of strategic. What do we need to do next? Bill Rainier in, yeah. Um, it it it's interesting because they do kind of have a little bit of awkwardness of like when she's walking in with the guard and she kind of like has to stop them. And she's like, okay, you've come far enough. Like she does that Uh little thing where she like stops them and then she goes forward to the table. She gets, she gets wine, right? Which is like Rand that gives her some wine. She's like, Oh, uh, thank you. Um, Yeah. This is new for everybody, which is interesting. Even down to the guards on Dragonstone they're not used to guarding a queen, you know? So it, is, it, it, it does have kind of like this awkward stuttering start kind of yes. feel. And I like that. Uh, I like that she invites Bela and Reyna to participate in the council. I don't know that they added much. In fact, they didn't say a word, but the fact that she invited them, you know, goes for a much more diplomatic approach than like the backdoorsy scheming of the greens. <laughs> That's thrown in backdoorsy. I we can't let an episode pass. House of the Dragon has to do council, and we have to mention <laughs> backdoors or reach arounds or something like that. Yeah. Um, it just wouldn't be yeah. us if we didn't. Under uh, her, a woman will have her say, is what I wrote down. We'll have a say, and maybe preparing them to lead true. a place like Driftmark. Um, it's true. Yeah, you'd like yeah. to see. You know, it's one of the, the weaknesses of Fire and Blood is you don't get fleshed out details of what these characters really do. I hope we get to see Raina and Bela do more mm-hmm. to show them what we see in Fire and Blood. Yeah. We, we do get the key piece of talk of men is moot, which Celticar says, mm-hmm. indicating that dragons are, are the way to go. But there's some spirited conversation about that too. Uh, Rhaenyra says, none of our dragons have been to war, but I think other than Caraxes, I don't think any yeah, of them. Caraxes have, yeah. And Sea Smoke, but he's not, doesn't have a rider. Um, but none of the dragons right. really have been to war other than, well, I guess, Vagar has. But Melees? Them, I, I, I don't it's think fought, so. But not like, I don't, yeah. I don't think so. I mean... Might have to look back at that history on that one. Yeah. I mean, they've ha- they haven't had war since Jaehaerys really took over. I mean, not real war. There were some things right. down there and some Dornish stuff. Skirmish but, things, yeah. Mm-hmm, the Vulture King mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feels feels like none of them are very experienced yeah they, they come up with math that or i think it's damon comes up with the math they have 13 dragons and the greens have four mm-hmm. yeah uh, they left out the young dragons of elena and nagon's kids which probably don't exist in this version because yeah but they call out the three adult dragons but he says in total they have four which to me means tessarion which to me is confirmation that we will get yeah they, the third son 
they've added him now to the family tree and it's it's official he's gonna be oh like on the hbo or whatever yeah yeah okay i think they could have just thrown thrown his name around once or twice yeah you like our other son who's in old town says hi <laughs> darren's studying really well he's doing a good job yeah we got a letter from him today yeah that would be nice um and then damon is really eager so he wants to make this happen very uh, hasty fire and fire and blood he's a little more cautious he doesn't want to use the dragons in combat so different right yeah thinks it's that there's better smarter ways to use dragons but he's damon Ready go to go ahead. to Aaron Hall right now. Yeah, Book Damon says we must fight this war with words before we go to battle, yeah. which is exactly the opposite of this, Damon. Well, he does recognize the need to get House Tolly and everything. Yep. But homeboy's ready to fight. Uh, before the moon, before the fucking moon turns, mm-hmm. he says mm-hmm. they can basically have the greens on their ropes. Yeah. So. I mean, he's... forget about the fact that we got to find riders for these other dragons and yeah. all that. You know. Like, yeah. yeah. We got it takes, this. It takes no time to train to become a dragon rider, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and then, like I mentioned before, Rainier is giving him these looks throughout, finding out that he's made decisions. What is, is it? Keltigar, who's like, or is it our master, the maester, that says like, "Oh, Damon's already commanded me to send ravens to this," and yeah. Damon kind of looks at him like, "Just Ixnay on the ravens, Ray." Yeah. Uh Rhaenyra gives him like, okay, but I'm the queen. Yeah. You see a budding power struggle already. And I'm glad that she's willing to fight it. She's not going to be a puppet ruler. No, no, she's not. Rhaenyra is strong. I mean, yeah. I've, you know, I had some negative things to say about her, but you know, Rhaenyra is strong. She's a and she's smart and she's capable and she's mm-hmm. a good leader of people. She cares about people. You know, I there's a lot to really like about Rhaenyra. I agree. So what do you think of, of, of this support, outward support that we see from Damon? Like he's the one that crowns her. It's like his idea. He picks up the crown and like walks over to her and, and it's almost like Rainier is like, Oh, are we doing this? Okay. we're. <laughs> and then, you know, he's the one that announces her when she comes into the room, Rainier Targaryen, queen of the seven kingdoms, uh, Andals, Roynar, first man, all that stuff. Um, so <sighs> What, what am I trying to ask here? Is it outward support? Is it true support? Is it him like being content? Like, is it, is it like, uh, uh, what is the word I'm trying to look for where he's trying to be like behind the scenes ruling and is okay supporting her out front, but in, he's trying to like manipulate things from the, yeah, I think, I think from you, behind the curtain. I mean, I certainly don't know the answer to this question, but my opinions fall somewhere around where you're falling and, you have a few things there. My opinion is uh, Damon is 80%. Let's fucking go. Let's go. Crown mm-hmm. plans. Go. You know, and then the other 20% is like, yeah, I need to actually show support so everyone sees that we're a unified front and that that's, that's an image that they'll follow. Right. Yeah. And that that's important to the brand. Right. But I, it doesn't, you got it it's it's gonna be pulling teeth to get me to say a positive thing about Damon. It's just it's just the way it's gonna be. I, I don't think he's I don't think he's really doing it out of any sort of goodness in his heart to be supportive of or loyalty. Yeah. No, uh-huh. Not really. Yeah. 
I agree. Um, just finally for me, I do like, like I said, they give us, it's like, we know the, the show writers, like, we know we're changing a lot here. So we're going to give you like these little tiny details that are exactly from the book, just to, just, just to maybe assuage your, your uh, discomfort a little bit. Like, um, it didn't work. No, it didn't for you. <laughs> there were lines that were lifted almost exactly from the book, especially That's in this cool. scene. Uh, Damon says, as an instrument of conquest, however, our army leaves something to be desired. That's almost word for word from the book. Um, we need a place where they can gather a toehold on the mainland large enough to house a sizable host. Uh, talking about Hall. That's almost exactly from the book. Um, even down to the details, 30 knights, 100 crossbowmen, 300 men at arms. That's exactly the figure given in the book. Yep. So I, I, it, it, I think it helps us as watchers to know that they paid such close attention. And these are details that they could easily just leave out or change or not mention at all, but they yes. gave them to us and, and give props for that. I liked that. Yeah, it's nice. I like it. One change. It's a green dragon. What's a green dragon? So jump into the end of the scene here. Uh, Marbrand comes in and says there's a boat approaching, flying the colors oh. of a uh, the Targaryen flag with a green dragon rather yeah. than red, right? Or gold. Fire, in Fire and Blood, is, it's gold, right? Yeah, yeah. It appears, this is the only thing we get, that uh, the evidence that we get of it, that maybe the showrunners are changing it to a green dragon. Which, if you think about it, kind of makes a little bit of sense. But yeah, so usually it's a red dragon on black, right? And I think does it then maybe we'll save this for the prediction portion, but is Rainier is going to be a black dragon on red? And then the victor will be using the red dragon on black. Who knows? It's up yes. for grabs, maybe. Up for grabs. <laughs> uh yeah, so so that boat arrives signaling. Otto has arrived to offer terms. <coughs> Didn't learn the first time, I guess. It's the same wall. Same came spot. To last time, same spot. <laughs> like she literally did this to you with the dragon trick where she flies around the back. Like literally did this six episodes ago or whatever it was. Uh, it did make me think though that, you know, he probably didn't have a whole lot of choice. This, this long wall is a, a good defense mechanism. Right. If they don't want to use that long wall. They've got to like, climb across the rocky shoals below and stuff it's a uh, difficult to traverse with a you know an army or a party that wants to come conquer so kind of a good defense mechanism i like it absolutely well designed and i like that you see damon pacing i thought that was an interesting mm -hmm. detail we talked before about how damon matt smith said damon's a leaner right yeah. he always gives this air of just like kind of relaxing in this one he's like a caged animal almost waiting for Otto to come up to him he's walking back and forth along that wall just oh he wants this fight so bad really bad wants it so bad really badly he yeah he's been aching for this for a long time he and Otto have never gotten along and uh I'm surprised he lasts as long as he does with his sword in his sheath. Yeah. Um, so they, they spend this time, you know, kind of going back and forth about who the rightful ruler is. Otto does a good job of explaining why people believe he's the Aegon is the rightful king, mm -hmm. why he's the ruler. Um, Another line lifted almost exactly from the book, by the way. Yeah. Sorry. Lists a bunch of houses that are considering terms. Uh, succession changed the day your father sired a son. Um, Sad that mm -hmm. he that that you and he 
uh, Rhaenyra and the Viserys were the last to see the truth of it. Um, so, you know, he's, he's really coming to offer terms and say, there's no hope here. No one sees this like you do, right? But Damon has one of the best lines in the show <laughs> that he would rather feed his own sons to the dragons mm-hmm. than have them carry shields and cups for their drunken usurper cunt of a king. Yep. <laughs> and those words just drip off Matt Smith's lips like acid. It is so delectable. This burn. I love I loved hearing it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh <laughs> it was great. It was great. Mm. Um, the terms are word for word as they were in the book almost. Mm-hmm. Another interesting little ad. Uh one big difference is that in the book, it's Grandmaster Orwile who comes to offer yep. these terms. Um, I loved having Otto there. It just made, yeah. you know, they gave us that beautiful acid drippy moment of Damon that we wouldn't have gotten had it just been Orwile. So yeah, great, great decision. I agree. I liked it. Um, in, the, in the book, they forcibly remove Orwile's chain, right? And give it to their maester, Maester Gerardus. Um, I feel like we got a little nod to that by Rhaenyra taking off Otto's hand pin and chucking it away, right? Yeah. So. And then as almost like a, I don't know whether he's just like, I'll try a different tack or whatever. He has, is it Orwile? He has mm-hmm. Orwile bring up the page uh, of the book that Rhaenyra had ripped out when she and uh and Alice was younger under the Godswood, which we haven't seen in many episodes. Poor Godswood. Um, and Alicent has apparently kept it as a keepsake of some sort. And it, mm-hmm. it works. I mean, it seems to work. It plays on Rhaenyra's emotions a little bit. Um, and when Damon is trying to get them to attack and just <laughs> basically end this farce, uh, Rhaenyra stops them. Yep. And we get another moment of Cyrax connecting to the user to, to the rider bellowing as you know, I think Cyrax can sense her unease. I wrote down that same note that Cyrax is is railing against Damon in that yeah. scene. Like, chill out, oh, dude. No, you don't. Chill out. Yep. You, you I better not. Mm-hmm. Better not. F around, find out. <laughs> uh yeah, so it's it's a it's an interesting scene. Um, you know, in, in Fire and Blood, I feel like we've had a lot of in Fire and Blood this and Fire and Blood that, but in Fire love and Blood, it. I love it. We're a book podcast already, first, right? We got to talk about these things. We are indeed. In Fire and Blood, she's kind of already made up her mind that this is yeah. not a good idea. This episode is, um, you know, kind of like the Green episode. Spent a lot of time looking for Aegon, this weird goose chase that, frankly, I didn't care too much about. This Correct. episode has instead spent the time in a much more heady way, a much more emotional way to have Rhaenyra deal with the conflict within herself about what the right thing to do is. And she's decided here that she needs to think about this a little bit before right. saying no to these terms. Yeah. On the morrow, you know, they'll have my answer. Yeah. People spend a lot of time talking about the end of the episode and how, you know, the, the change that that was from the book. 
potentially. I think this is the biggest change of the book is it, from the book is Rhaenyra's attitude towards towards the war. Uh, she's very upfront. We're going to do this, as you and I have already talked about in the book, in the show. She's going to take some time and do this right. Yeah, Go, going back to my prediction, I said I did it a little bit differently. You know, what I predicted was that Luke's death, spoiler, if you haven't watched the episode, that's happening in a little bit, that Luke's death would trigger her her pregnancy and her miscarriage and then that would be the straw that broke the back and that she'd want to go to war uh it is luke's death that that does that we'll get it hardens her yep but it happens well after the miscarriage and it's it's very interesting to me that you know that the miscarriage doesn't and, and the stealing of the throne isn't enough and it's it i don't i don't hate it i don't hate that they had her go through go through this exercise to try to get to this place. We get a very interesting scene coming up next that, that helps deal with that. It's an interesting change. I didn't hate it like some of the changes. I didn't hate it either. Actually, I didn't hate it at all. It even goes to, if you wanted to talk about fire and blood and justify the change a little bit, it could just be that the people who wrote fire and blood maybe weren't there. And so they wanted to cast Rhaenyra in a more <laughs> villainous light. So they made her as this warmongering, you know, queen wannabe when she actually wasn't perhaps yes the the biased narr- narrator mm-hmm. or the uninformed narrator uh mushroom should be there he was on dragonstone most of them would not have been yeah. mm-hmm. although orwile would have been there for this scene but anyway um do you have anything else for the, the scene on the bridge there or do you want to move to the no session two here yeah they kind of get to debrief from what just happened right and Rhaenyra makes it clear that her duty is to defend the realm, not to cast it headlong into war. Yeah, very Stannisy. Very bit, true. Yeah. Right. My duty is to the realm, not the not the other way around. Um, and that idea that Damon says of dragons going to war, the problem with that is everything burns, as she said. When dragons flew to war, everything burned, and she's not interested in ruling over a kingdom of ash and bone. Yeah. But it but also great. Just like Allison in the in the Council of the Greens, you know, he loved his child. He wouldn't want he wouldn't want her killed. And and uh Tyland Lannister says, okay, well what's your idea? So what now? So very what do we similarly, do Damon says, the enemy have declared war. What are you what are you going to, you have to do something? What right. is your idea? Right? I'm preparing for war because I see that as the only outcome here. What do you what do you, what would you like to do instead? Right? And I mean, yeah, I, you know, I hate war too. What is the alternative? I mean, from the stance of the prophecy that she believes so much and that she thinks is her main priority, is she just going to give it to Aegon the 2nd? Is that her is is that the non-war option that she's just like, okay, maybe it wasn't meant to be me. I'll share it with him and hope that he can carry it forward. Right. Is that the alternative she's considering? I think so. I think one thing that this episode kind of uh, in a sidelong way makes clear is that is that idea perpetuated in the last episode too, that Rhaenyra and Alicent have more in common than what the surface shows us. And as we talked about in the, I guess it was two episodes ago now during the dinner scene, where we posited that Alicent was ready to let Rhaenyra be queen. Uh, 
um, that this is Rhaenyra seriously considering could this work out if I just lived my life on Dragonstone they you know Otto came through with the promises that he made and the terms that he made could this just be okay if it means preventing war in accordance with the prophecy being the priority right yeah so <laughs> she's like when Damon sasses her. Uh, it reminded me of that scene in the office where Stanley sasses Michael. Did I stutter? Oh yeah. <laughs> and Michael's like, everybody out. And he <laughs> makes everybody leave. Uh, clear the room, Rhaenyra says. And you're like, Stanley oh, should have been here we go. friggin' fired for that. For oh, sure. absolutely. Michael Scott's terrible. He is We've talked about this. Yes. Um, I can barely watch the show. I feel like, I, like I've gotten more anxious as I've gotten older. Like I can't watch the show because of them. It's too much. I've been watching it with my kids and it's been fun to watch it with them. My kids want to watch it really bad. My twins. Yeah. I'm like, you won't get it. You don't know what it's like to be in an office. There are, there have been plenty of times where I've got to like pause it and be like, okay, let me explain this to you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I imagine that would be, that would be the case. Um, so, yeah, everybody out, like Michael Scott said. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, they just lay into each other. Why, why should I declare war? Just because I'm angry? Because it's your duty as queen to crush rebellion. True. Mm -hmm. True. Also, good question Rhaenyra asks. If Rhaenyra could take the throne without killing the High Towers, mm -hmm. would Daemon still do it? Would he get the throne for her without wanting to kill High Towers? And he doesn't answer that. No, he doesn't. <laughs> no, I'm sure he'd take it, but he'd be pissed off for years about it. Oh, for it. sure. Well, so I watched this documentary recently on a hockey team called the Danbury Trashers, a minor league hockey team. You heard him of them? Oh. Great documentary on Netflix about how they were funded by a mobster. It's it's. I won't go too much into it here, but super fascinating. Look it up on Netflix. Um, but there's one story of, of this one guy on the team who gets horribly injured by a cheap shot from another player. And um, his career is almost over because the injury is so bad, but he, you know, he, he talks about it almost like he's fueled by revenge to get better and get back into playing shape uh -huh. so that one day he can go back and get revenge on this guy. And, Finally, you know, a year later, the moment comes, they're playing this guy's team and he just waits for the right moment when he's reasonably close and he just attacks the guy, pummels him. The guy's be taken out on a stretcher. Just, you know, it's, he talks about it like it was the greatest moment of his life when really it just sounds awful. But this is what Damon's going through. This is what he's been waiting for. He's just been stewing and waiting for a moment to strike at the high towers. And uh, a lot of this, I think, is fueled by hatred. I think it is. I think. I think. I think you're right. I mean, I think a lot of it deep down for him is a this fire that's been smoldering for a long time, and now gets some air underneath it, and he's got an opportunity. <laughs> it can rage, right? Also, I, I think there is a little bit of him that feels like, no, no, fuck these guys. Targaryens rule here. Mm -hmm. Right, and we get into yeah. that after not the, high towers after the song mm -hmm. of ice and fire bit. We get into some of that, and we'll we'll go a little bit deeper. Maybe we should do the song of ice and fire bit now. I mean, so yeah, do it. So go. So Rhaenyra basically says, "Well, yeah, it's my duty to crush rebellions, but 
because of the no. the prophecy, you know, like. But but the prophecy is more important than you know duty to crush rebellions. The prophecy that you obviously know about. Yeah, and I think you know. So she she tells him, you know, the song of ice and fire, you dummy. Well, right, you know about that, right? Yeah, that whole thing. Sarah told me all about it when he named me heir, and he chokes her. Yep. Right. Yep. Now I think we all suspected that Damon didn't know about the prophecy. We talked mm-hmm. about it in our previous episodes, covered when. You know, it was like, is Damon really the heir? Did Viserys ever really consider him the heir? Damon thought he was the heir. But did Viserys ever share this with him? And what if Viserys had been taken out by a fall down the stairs and nobody knew the prophecy? Like, we talked about all those things. But Damon doesn't know shit, and we kind of figured he probably didn't. And my biggest problem with this is that it feels like ridiculous storytelling to me. That Rhaenyra... So... Imagine you're Rhaenyra, and the way the way we're expected to read this scene is that she expected him to know this prophecy. She thought mm-hmm. he'd know all about it, right? So imagine you've had this secret for so long that you couldn't really talk to anybody about, and now you've married this person that you think knows about it, and in seven years you never talked about it. It is she keeps in these. Uh, it's infuriating to me, Matt. In these moments that we get to see after time jump and time jump and time jump where she keeps stressing, oh, no, well, the prophecy is the most important thing. Are we expected to believe that she only says that or only thinks about that every seven years or every three years or whatever? It should be something that's driving her actions, like, all the time. You'd think it'd be, like, me having soccer thoughts about how I would have done this better. She should be thinking, like, you know, what's happening in the North. Maybe we should, Damon, do you think since this thing's going to happen in the North, we should go spend some time up there and make allies and make sure that, you know, we're all on the same page and let's take a trip up there on our dragons and and smooth things over with them and make sure we're all good. They never do anything about the damn prophecy ever to make sure that it will be okay. And it's hard for me to believe that she has a confident, a a confidant in Damon that supposedly knows this thing. It wouldn't be letting the cat out of the bag to talk to him about it. And she doesn't ever. It's shocking to me. And I feel like it's really bad storytelling. I wouldn't say it's really bad storytelling um exceptionally bad i get the i get the we've talked about before about you've known about this for this long and you haven't said anything until now we've i think we've had three or four instances over the course of the season where we're like you waited this long to say something yeah and the fact of the matter is this is the scene they're showing and so for the audience's sake they have to say it now right um yeah, it's it's interesting that this never come up before. If she just assumed that he knew, you would think that it would come up in conversation or something. Uh, we've also seen from Rhaenyra that she's kind of gotten lax. We've talked about it before on the whole becoming queen thing. She's maybe taken for granted the time that she needs to put into preparing and um, just dad's always been alive and he's always been the king and I've got time, right? So I'm just going to settle into family life on Dragonstone and not think very much about my responsibilities. Uh, Oh, but now the situation's here. And so now I've got to think about all these things. Oh crap. Like you said, she wasn't prepared for it. I got to think about this prophecy. I got to think about this. I got to think about this. I got to think about this. Um, When it's really something she should have been, like you said, gradually preparing for, for years. Maybe I'm just built different, Matt, but if I were like in charge of making sure the whole world didn't burn down, on my mm-hmm. watch, I'd be thinking about it all the time. I'd be worrying about it. I'd be stressing. I'd be stressed out, right? And maybe 
maybe people aren't built that way. It's just me, but it's hard when for me things to seem a far, be... a long way off. My dad didn't do much about it. So. What do you mean? Well, that's what she's thinking. Like, well, dad oh, didn't God. seem to worry about it too much. Yeah. Right. No, not my father. Yeah. It's like he knows about this. <laughs> <laughs> he knew about the sunglasses uh, fire too. Anyway, so regardless whether or not I think it's bad storytelling, we get Damon's reaction, which is shockingly violent again. Yeah. Uh, he chokes her really aggressively. Like, it's bad. It's, it's bad. Really, it's really bad. Yep. Domestic violence. Um, I think, you know, trying to climb in Damon's head, not going to justify what he did. Not justify, all. not justify. But climb all. into his head. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, maybe he's feeling initially, initially some betrayal that yeah. he wasn't given the secret by his he brother. He didn't know about it. Agreed. He was never considered the heir, really. Um, you know, Rhaenyra is getting kind of the opposite feeling. I was always the heir. I didn't realize that Viserys thought of me that way. Um, Damon's getting the opposite end of that, of that stick. Right, that you know he was never trusted by his brother, um, and that in combination with Viserys's death, I think he's really doing a number on him, and he just yeah blows up and reacts. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of the choke, though, I think he kind of lands on his message: none of that shit matters. Forget the dreams. You need to be a queen of action and violence. Targaryens are built on dragons. It reminded me of the. The Danny passage, uh, dragons plant the dragons plant the trees bit the uh, fire mm-hmm. and blood. Daenerys told the swaying grass, "Dragons don't plant trees. Dragons don't create. They don't build. They destroy." That's that's Damon's message here, and he shouldn't have choked her for sure. Yeah, that's what he's trying to get her to see. I think so too. Yep. The what he viewed as Viserys' biggest weakness was the dreams and the he calls them omens and portents. Damon does. Yeah. Uh, and now he's seeing Rhaenyra do it. He's like, no, no, yeah. that's not how things work. You better not. Yeah. Yeah. This is it, another moment. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to move on to something a little different. Okay. Well, I was just going to point out this is another moment of a similarity between Alicent and Rhaenyra that I think we're meant to see that abuse continues even among these women, even uh, upon these women, I should say, who are you know, apparently in such high standing, like Rainier is the queen. Damon's not the king. You know, yeah. Alicent is the dowager queen. Laris Clubfoot is a Lord confessor, yet they still are able to abuse these women. And they're still finding themselves in that room looking for a window. And it makes you wonder just how bad all the other women have it, right? Yep. I mean, yep. So Damon's statement there about uh, dreams didn't make us kings, dragons did, right? Which is kind of, I can't, I I meant to go re-watch the bonfire scene in the, I think it's the second of his name episode. Mm -hmm. Um, But Viserys says almost the exact same thing. What is the power of dragon against the power of a prophecy of essentially he's implying of being able to see the future, right? Mm -hmm. So mm-hmm. he and Damon are just total opposites on this. Right. Get the prophecy stuff. And Viserys is like, it's all prophecy stuff. Right? Yeah. When probably the happy medium is prophecy is good, but it requires action too. Yeah. You know, what we're talking about. This prophecy mm-hmm. means nothing if Rainier is not going to try to unite the kingdom. 
And maybe we'll see. And do that, something about it. That middle path from Rhaenyra, we'll see. Yep. I think she's thinking about it more because yeah. she's finally been forced to confront it because yeah. her dad died. Because her dad died. Yep. Then we get a, a reacquainting, what, six years in the making? Yeah. Yeah, so Corliss has lived. He's back. But uh, I, I think they're actually on Dragonstone. Earlier in the episode, they said they were sailing to, he was sailing to yeah. Dragonstone. I think they so are too. Mm-hmm. They didn't go to Driftmark and then come back. They just went yeah. to Dragonstone. Took him straight there. Um, he tries to make a little joke as he awakes about punishing her for falling asleep on on his on her watch. And, and Rainey's, as mm. we see she's wont to do, is like, nope, nope, I've got a lot of things I've wanted to say to you for the past six years, and we're jumping right into it. That joke is like when uh, when you bring your partner a gift or flowers or give them a nice compliment <laughs> when you've done something wrong, right? Like, he left for six years, and I love that they're dealing with that, because yep. Rainus has felt abandoned abandoned yep he says i had no other place to turn implying that he had to go to the steps oh huge eye roll huge i lost i lost everything oh huge eye roll and you hate that rayness has to even say it dickhead we lost dude we're we're in this together yeah all in this together (laughs) high school musical that's a local it is yep yep we drive past that high school to get to one of the local hockey rinks all the time. <laughs> Sister-in-law teaches at that high school. No way. That was indeed. Oh. Taught there while it was filmed. Do children sing in the cafeteria? Just break out into choreographed dance numbers? Not any more than in a normal cafeteria. Okay. Right. Meaning the drama club probably does. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, this, this scene is interesting. I mean, it, it kind of paints this relationship a little bit differently than I thought of it or had been thinking of it, mm, that it's mm-hmm. not as strong as it seemed. And we've seen a few of those yeah, scenes, right? Where for sure. We see that they disagree about some things, um, but, but very much it, it doesn't seem like as strong a relationship as we thought it was. I agree. And at the same time, you notice these little things of almost like they're just like, just comfortable with each other. They're to that point where there's just a deep rooted caring for each other, even acknowledging they're not on the same page she's sitting there giving him the business while she's dabbing his head and and not like doing it in a mean way either like softly dabbing his head and washing his hands even as she's giving him the business yeah you you never get the sense that either one of them is about to choke the other one right if we want to put it that way yeah like not to make let's go there Uh domestic violence from the last scene but like it's it's a it's a amenable discordance right? yeah they're yeah. going to work through this they need to come to some terms and it's going to be okay but they're you know they're they're button heads a little bit right yeah you've heard it said sometimes of divorce is not an option couples decide that divorce is not an option mm-hmm. and uh it feels like these two they're yeah. still caring mm-hmm. um, she lets them know that uh Viserys is not the only death, but his brother Vaymond has died. And Corliss at, and gives him the details that he was trying to claim your spot, basically, assuming you were going to die, uh, and claimed that the strong bastards are indeed bastards, which everyone can see and knows. Yep. 
Um, oh, by the way, the same position Ray has had about them, like what she wanted the throne to go through the Bela and Rayana, right? But uh, Corliss very quickly comes to, you know, you get the sense maybe that this entire time he's been sick, he's really been reflecting on oh, absolutely. choices he's made. And absolutely. the Vaymon the thing is just the spur he needs to say, like, the, the line is heedless ambition has always been a Valerian weakness. Mm-hmm. I reach and, too far and for nothing. Mm-hmm. And so he's officially giving up his pursuit of the Iron Throne. Let's declare for no one and just go hide away on our little island. Actually, uh, uh, Corliss, kind of changed my mind about things. Yep. <laughs> I've been doing some thinking too. And exactly. I'm digging Rhaenyra. I'm digging Rhaenyra. Yeah. So she makes the point, first of all, that they're, you know, their grandchildren. If, you know, I don't know, whether you believe like the blood or the name or whatever, you know, Jace, Luke, and Joff aren't safe. They're they're in this. And so we yeah. need to be in this too for them, right? Which and, sidebar I like. I put that as a note that I like. Rainey's knows they're not her blood. Uh I think Corliss knows too. Yep. They still want to protect them. Those three boys, she calls them. She loves them. They're grandkids to her, whether they're blood or not. And yep. I really like that. I think so too. Um, and then her other reason is that, you know, I think like you said earlier, uh, that Rainus maybe was looking for somebody to believe in. She's seen in these last couple scenes <laughs> that Rhaenyra is standing up to people. She's yep. taking control. She doesn't want to do the senseless war acts that everyone is prompting her to do. And she's being careful and showing restraint. And Rhaenyra is the only one who's demonstrated restraint, she says. Yeah. Like so, Rhaenys herself did in the dragon pit, by the way. So, I mean, you wonder if Rhaenys hadn't been in those councils and seen her speak that way, if she would have given this speech to Corlys or not. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is a big reason why they're throwing their support behind her. Yeah, 100% agree with you, man. In fact, when she's, when, when, Rhaenyra says, everybody out, basically. Uh, Rhaenys walks by and she gives her that little smile. And to me, that was the moment where she realized, okay, Rhaenyra is not going to be cowed by Damon. Mm-hmm. She's going to stand up for herself. And Rhaenys gives her that little Rhaenys sly smile of, go get him, girl. You get she it. She was girl. also the last one to leave. And it almost felt like she wasn't going to, like she wanted to see this. Like, <laughs> I want to see this. She closed right? the door behind her and is instantly yeah, like, like, you're up to it. <laughs> Somebody give me a glass. Get it, get it, girl. Get it, girl. Uh, so we go right into council session three from this scene, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially Corliss coming in and being announced. And he plays at it a little bit, but basically. He's testing her metal too. He's yeah. trying to see for himself how she'll respond to, you know, some some blowback or some pushback about things and so he does a little bit yeah uh hope is a fool's ally ally of the fool's ally he says Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because she's talking about the hopes of getting more more allies and some of these little stark and tony and (coughs) baratheon um you know she talks about not acting right away and she says take taking caution does not mean standing fast right um yeah so yeah, I think you're right. He he's he's feeling her out, but in the end, 
she sasses him a bit and he's like, okay, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. She, she says, these houses swore to me. And he goes, as did house Hightower, if I remember. And she says, so did you do. As did you. (laughs) (laughs) And he does a little. Okay, fine. And then he declares. And oh, by the way, since I'm declaring, I'll also share with you. Yeah, I almost died. And yeah, I've been gone six years and I got a little bit whipped for that from my wife last scene. But we now have a total blockade of the shipping lanes. It's a huge. That is big freaking deal. For those that don't read the books, I mean, this is harped on a lot in A Song of Ice and Fire and in Fire and Blood about how important the control of of Blackwater Bay is, uh, but also of the gullet and um, the stepstones themselves and controlling those shipping lanes. They can kind of starve the city out. Right. Right. If they do it right. And they got to get some control on land too, but it's a huge step. <coughs> yeah. It's very important. Yeah. And that's, uh, I've talked about Rainey's smiles. It's the first like real non sly smile you get from Rainey's mm. after Corliss declares. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like, yes, I'm in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Corliss even gives her credit in kind of his own Corlissy way of not giving her too much credit. But um, Rhaenyra says, you honor me, Lord Corliss. And he's like, yeah, I'm a big deal. But then he kind of looks past Rhaenyra at Rhaenys and kind of gives like a little like eyebrow thing. And then mm-hmm. Rhaenyra turns to Rhaenys and is so. like, oh, you too. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Um, before she didn't want to start the war, Rhaenys I'm talking about, but now she's like, I'll even like... I'll go on patrolling duty. Like I'm in this now. Yeah. She's going to go patrol the gullet and make sure that no ships get through, Mm -hmm. Um, which is, which is nice. Um, Yeah. There's a few little things that happen before we get too deep in the scene. The cousins, Bela, Reyna, Jason, Luke Mm -hmm. seem very fond of each other. (laughs) My note was Bela freaking loves Jace. I bet they totally sneak off and make out together. I am asking if they're doing it. I wonder. They look. Raina gives little Luke a look. Raina's totally into Luke. Yes. (laughs) Like, I think they're really into each other. More importantly than than that, of course, is like, I've said it before, but like, let's give Bela and Raina something more to do than walk here, stand there, smile. Let's throw these, let's throw these actresses and these characters a bone, please. I, I, I paid attention to it on my third watch, and I think the only line that either of them has is when Reyna offers wine. wine. Yeah. I think I don't think they say a single word otherwise. Yeah. But yeah, the look Bela gives Jace is like, that's my man. My man. Yeah. And and the look that Reyna gives Luke is is kind of like butterfliesy, like, he's so mm-hmm. cute. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And the boys for and, their part give them looks too, like, yeah. Dang, she fun. I mean, I'm probably reading too much into it. I like I like a good a good romance as much as the next guy. And Corliss gives them the little look to like, oh, is this a thing? <laughs> oh, so that's a thing. Like my nieces yeah. and nephews, or my granddaughters and grandsons. Yeah, Bela also looks like she's got a little bit of pride. With totally when Jace proposes this idea, yeah, that's what I mean. Like that's my man. Yeah, yeah right. Mm-hmm. So. So Jace proposes, so that they're about to send ravens to all these people that they want to get support from, because if they're going to close off the shipping lanes, they also need troops to surround, and they don't have enough people, enough allies to do that, right? So they're going to send off ravens to go send messages to Baratheon, Tully, Stark, Aaron, right? 
And Jay says, just like in Fire and Blood, that yeah. we should, should bear take those them. messages. We should bear yeah. those messages. Dragons are more convincing mm-hmm. right? and faster too, but the more convincing is the interesting part. Um, you know, he thinks sending a, a prince on a dragon will carry a lot more weight than a raven. And he's right. And everyone agrees. Yeah. In the book, his brother Lucerys agreed, it says, insisting that he and Jace were men or near enough to make no matter. In the show, it gives the impression, at least to this viewer, that Luke was like, oh. I didn't notice. <laughs> I didn't notice. Uh, I, you cool. definitely saw the fear. You didn't see outright like, no, no, we're not doing that. But this oh, actor who plays Luke, I don't know his the actor's name, and I should. He does a great job of transmitting that uncertainty. I think, you know, in this next scene with Rainier and the two boys, he does it really well, too. Uh, Great little actor. Now, in Fire and Blood, they're like, I think they're like 14 and 15 in this this scene. Mm -hmm. In Mm -hmm. House of the Dragon, I get the sense they're more like 17, 19. Ooh, they say, they say, Luke, she says you're 14 years old at the beginning. In this episode? episode. Yeah. Oh, really? She's like, you're 14, dude. Mm. Yeah. But I'm wrong. But Jace looks Jace looks like a good couple of years older than him, I thought. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cragen uh, like Megan? Yeah, Cragen. Uh, been saying Cregan my whole life. I feel like everybody's pronounced it Cregan. If anyone else has pronounced it Cragen, please let us know. Probably people named Megan. That makes sense. We have, we have a blood rider named Megan. We should ask. We should. We should ask Megan. <laughs> Megan, did you pronounce it Cragen? Remind them of the oaths they swore and the cost of breaking them, Rhaenyra says, about these messages they're going to deliver. I think that's a a great statement to make. mm -hmm. But then you don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I feel like it's a little... um, maybe they may maybe i don't know what they wrote on the messages right but they each need their own little touch probably right right and um you know it watching this upcoming scene of of luke at at uh, storm's Storm's end End, that that message needed a different touch yeah and you should know your potential allies and know what touch is needed it sounded sexual i didn't mean it to be but in <laughs> in Boros's case, frankly, that might have been the touch that was needed, right? Like he needed some sort of compensation of, uh, well, anyway, we'll get to that. It's almost like, yeah, we'll get, yeah, we'll wait till we get there. It was a terrible any, idea. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a good idea to send these boys on these dragons, uh, but the, maybe spend more time crafting them. Uh, anything else in this scene here? No, no. So we get th- this is this is where House of the Dragon shines to me is in these little moments that don't exist in Fire and Blood at all that are just scenery that give us more insight into these characters and make us care about them more. Correct. The scene where Rhaenyra is sending her sons off to, yeah. take, to do these errands, right? Yeah, the book does talk about making the boys swear solemn mm-hmm. oaths upon a copy of the seven-pointed star. But like you're saying, it breathes life into those moments yes. and makes you care about them. To me, Jason Luke of the books are just two boys. 
they're almost could be interchangeable even in their personalities. Like I'm saying, they're kettle blacks. Yeah. Kind of. They're sweethearts yeah. though. Kettlebacks are I, not sweethearts. Yeah. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Jason Luke and, uh, and Joffrey, but you're right. They don't, they don't get fleshed out much at all. And so having a sort of a, a tender spot for them is kind of like having a tender spot for Rickon. There's not a lot there, <laughs> you know, like you can have one if you want, but like you weren't given a whole lot. You're a father of two boys yourself. And you just, yeah, indeed. Uh, so the case given for Luke, who's going to Storm's End, is that there's Baratheon blood from your grandmother, Rhaenys. It's a short flight. It'll be easy on you. Don't worry about it. Boros is externally pr- eternally proud. You'll be honored to host a prince and a dragon. And I expect you will receive a warm welcome. Um, I feel... Yeah. Is she coddling him? Is she coddling? Is she actually not... She's trying to calm him down and you know, steal him a little bit, but I wonder if she's doing him a disservice by painting this rosy picture. I think she believes the picture. I think I think it's part of her entitlement. I think she mm-hmm. she believes mm-hmm. that these people actually feel this way about her. Yeah, they I bent agree the with knee. That. They yeah. bent the knee. They should feel and they should feel that they owe me. She's yeah. in, she feels entitled to that. And she feels that they'll behave in this way. I don't think she's I mean she said it in the bigger council too, right? About yeah. about reminding them of all of the oath and everything. So you I, say she's not she's not purposefully like trying to like calm him down by telling him all this easy stuff that there's actually some conviction behind it. And I I don't think I she think bothered telling him if she weren't trying to do that. I think she is trying to calm him down. But I also think she believes what she's saying. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's doing him a disservice. But uh yep. But I mean to your point, the only thing she tells Jace is Craigan's close to your aides. You guys should get along fine. That's all she has to tell Jace. Luke is worried, so she gives him the whole, yeah. the whole thing, right? But yeah, I think she, she can also, tell by looking at him and just yeah. by knowing her kids. Yeah. Luke's a worrier. Yep. He's, and yep. there's this little moment when she's talking to Luke where it, it zooms in on her, her hands. Yeah. The pinky. Did you uh-huh. have the note about the pinky? The pinky. Yes. Rainier's pinky finger just kind of rubs Luke hand, Luke's hand tenderly. It's just beautiful. It Wonderfully is. done by Emma. The kind of thing that you know, as an actor, it's like that's what you're looking for. The, the director doesn't say, like, hey, you know, move, move your that's what I thought. Like, like, I, like, I wonder if that wasn't even it, probably wasn't even a direction, it was no, something it's just she just being did. in the character. She probably mm-hmm. didn't plan it, it's just being in the character and doing the motherly thing for this this boy your, your character cares about. Yeah, it's just it's wonderfully tender. Yeah, I love it. I loved them riding off together, the three dragons, the boys getting a little ride with grandma, mm-hmm. and the way they go. That's right. That's right. Veermax heading, kind of skipped over a little bit, Veermax heading north to the Erie uh, and then to Winterfell. Uh, Maylis, we assume, uh, going with, to with Rhaenys patrol going to patrol duty. the gullet and, and little Luke, of 14 years old apparently, on Arax going to Storm's End. Yeah. Then we get a funny little scene. I like this scene. We get a funny little scene. Damon's walking through the caves, singing his songs. Uh, I asked on Twitter what song he was singing. It was a hit. Wrong was a answers hit. only. It's a hit tweet, man. Yeah, we got a lot of interesting responses on there. Uh, Baby Shark, I think, was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> or two of them. 
you got a you got a bunch of interesting response. Uh, we got a lot of uh, um, oh Rick Astley. Um, never gonna give you up. A lot of that yeah. one. Yep, never gonna um, give you up. But uh, he he encounters a dragon who is not named in the episode, but who everyone has just kind of come to know is Vermithor, which was King Jaehaerys's dragon. Yeah, and I believe Vermithor is perhaps the second or third biggest dragon alive at this point. Uh, the cannibal, mm-hmm. which is not one I think that's been mentioned. Maybe they did they refer to wild dragons? They might have. They referred to the three that were wild. Yeah. Yeah. Damon did when, mm-hmm. apparently quite big, uh, maybe bigger than Vermithor. But Vermithor is a beast, man. He's he's big. Yeah. Uh, the the book describes him as hoary. H-O-A-R-Y. And we may have talked about it in the episode, like, what does that even mean? And I don't know how to describe it, but I know it when I see it. And what I saw was a hoary dragon. Like, hoary if, old Vermithor. If I was just to, like, describe in a picture, yeah. Vermithor does it. He yeah. looked hoary to me. Yeah. And, yeah, he did. And I like this scene. It's It's almost like Vermithor has been awakened. Mm-hmm. you know like it's a metaphor or something and he's ready right like he spews this fire that's maybe the longest thing of fire we've seen at least that i've seen on this show um feels like um our buddy joe magician talked about uh he posited that that was him holding up his lighter to damon singing you know like in a concert right. when you fire up your lighter that's uh, funny nice ballad I didn't see that. That was Vermithor's uh, uh, lighter moment. But you do wonder, like, was this... Uh, What's going on? Was was this kind of the song that Jay Harris used to sing a lullaby to him? And and Damon, because he studies dragon lore, knew that and so went and sung it and knew that it would have this effect on Vermithor? KG dude, Damon, about some yep. of this stuff. Yeah, it's definitely a teaser scene. Definitely yeah. a teaser scene. For sure. What, what are they going to do with him? Who's going to ride right. him? They, yeah. I mean, we know in Fire and Blood what happens. I won't talk about it because it's kind of spoilery. But um, is Damon going to be Damon and try to take on a second dragon just to say that he could and just defy all the rules? Matt, it would not stun me. Right? Uh, I hope not, but it would not stun me. Right? Um. Vermithor, just like the close-up on Vagar, looks looks animatronic to me. I like I like the faraway shots of the dragons. I think they do wonderful when they're in flight and when they're when we're seeing mm-hmm. them from afar and moving and stuff. They look great. But when you get really up and close to them, man, it looks like a Disney ride to me. Really? Yeah, I don't like it. I don't think it looks awful, but you definitely notice a difference between like these dragons and other yeah. things you see in big budget movies and stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Do you have more to say? I, I agree. It's, it feels like a teaser. Um, you know, there's other dragons on Dragonstone too. Is he maybe going to go find all yeah. of them? Just touch base yeah. with all of them. Yeah. To me, it felt like a post-credit scene. Like it was weird, even just putting it where yeah. it was. It feels like something that you'd watch all the credits, like in a Marvel movie, and then at the end you'd see that. Yeah. But. Yeah, I I could see that that way. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. Very, very much, very much like it, like a teaser, like you said, yeah, like, like this will mean something to you later, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 
but they wanted to end on the emotional beat of Rhaenyra finding out the news about Luke. So I get it too. They did. Should we get to that? Um, yeah, we got to get to Storm's End, huh? Yeah, let's do it. So we've finally seen externally Storm's End, right? I wasn't blown away, to be honest. It was fine. Got, it's fine. I, the big drum tower. It's like I expected it to be more like squat, little, right? Yes. Did you expect yes, it to be like way more, more squat? Wide? It should be built yeah. like me. Come on. <laughs> Stout. Like, uh, yeah, I didn't, I, I mean, we didn't, we didn't get a really good look at it. No, like from like a good angle, you know? It was rainy. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. But yeah. no, I wasn't, I wasn't going away. I me neither. Sounds like some people were. I wasn't that much. Um, I liked this moment from Luke, though. You know, for as unsure he as he is about himself, he lands that dragon, and almost yep. instantly he sees Vagar in a very dramatic scene. It was like, holy crap! Yes. Yes. And you see was... Luke like, okay, and he trusts okay. in his role yes. as the messenger, right? Yes. And he's like, they're not going to hurt me because I'm just the messenger. I got a job to do. I'm gonna do my job. Yeah. <sighs> Loved it. It was it was nice. And, you know, yeah, based on all the things we've said about Luke earlier this episode, like, we know it took it took something for him to do that. Right. Um, yeah. He's already again, not feeling great about this. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sees the biggest living dragon in the world. And exactly. He knows who rides that dragon. Exactly. And he also knows that he cut he that person's he, eye out. Yes. And it's like, this is, so this is going to be a thing, I guess. <laughs> okay. I hate you, Mom. I hate you, Jace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another, another warm, super warm welcome. Nobody gets warm welcomes in this show. No, uh, the, I mean the the four guards just kind of stand there looking at him until they, he approaches with a letter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about this scene. Uh, hilarious that Boros can't read. Um, That's from the book. It's from the book. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, it doesn't outright say he can't read, but it kind of infers it. Yeah. Uh, and also he kind of like, it seems like he uh, he resents his maester for the, the fact that he can't read. He calls him the bloody maester. He doesn't keep him near. And like, I bet. Well, it's embarrassing too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was almost just like, just like, no, don't. I, yes, you're coming at me with a letter. Just tell me what it says. Just. Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't make me like read it and then we gotta talk. Just just say it. Just say yeah. it. <laughs> uh it's very Barathony of him. Amon looks great. I he thought. Does. The pot collar. Mm-hmm. He just looked totally bad, eh? Looks confident. He looks uh aggressive, looks in control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're jumping he, ahead a little bit to him taking off the eye patch. Yeah. But I was wondering if they'd even do like the stone in the eye thing or if they just always have him be in an eye patch yeah i thought it looked cool it did it did look good it looked it looked uh the sapphire yeah it looked i awesome. thought it looked cool yeah. yeah you look good so as we hinted <coughs> rainier has totally misread boros he wants something in return isn't getting it feels insulted uh what a, not a dog to whistle up at need he says Another line lifted straight from the book. Yes. Verbatim. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, And this is a bit of a future of the realm, though. And this is not a spoiler. I mean, look way ahead to, you know, Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. You know, as soon as as soon as there's discord 
in the House of the Dragon, people start kind of they glom. They they start putting up fights against them, right? And start mm-hmm. start doing their own thing and start demanding things. And uh, the Dance Dragons is a big part of that, as we'll see. So you come with empty hands. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's where I'm talking about the disservice. There was no talk of, you know, if they bite back a little bit and you'd find yourself needing to negotiate, this is as far as I'm willing to go, right? Like, yeah. I'll go that, like you always do when you're preparing for a yeah. negotiation. We're yeah. really willing to give this much, but try yes. for this much. Do this, <clears throat> do this, do this. Those conversations didn't happen. If you need some incentive, tell them we'll give them these lands to this river or right. tell them, you know, yes, we don't have any heirs right away, but, you know, we will, Joffrey, Joffrey isn't, you know, set to marry anyone and your daughters are a little older, but when he's old enough. Exactly. They know Boros has four daughters and that that, the marriage things are common way of sealing alliances. You'd have to think that that would be discussed. Oh, Boros might, you know, he might want us to seal this thing with the marriage pact. What are we willing to do there? Right. Or lands or something. You're right. Have something in the Mm -hmm. chamber so that it's not just like, here's the letter come do it please you know like these are negotiations yeah. and the, the benefit of not sending a raven is that you do have someone there to negotiate mm-hmm. so like if you're gonna send him send him in power saying, bad idea man it seemed like a good idea to send a dragon rider but in the end how much time is it storm's end is close like yeah they sail there on their little pleasure barge rainier sailed there and it took like 15 minutes to get there or whatever <laughs> obviously it takes a little longer but it took one discussion with Kristen cole if i remember exactly back and forth like send jace you know he's very self-confident so all those things but you know maybe we maybe sending the 14 year old kid who already has confidence issues to someone like boris baratheon wasn't a great idea you know and if that's where it ended and he just failed in the mission okay but that's not where it ended nope Nope. So Amond, Amond before Luke can leave, basically demands that Luke take out his own eye. In front of everybody, by the way. In front of everybody, in front of the whole court. Boros, for like the tiniest bit of respect you can give the guy, I guess, says you're not going to fight in my hall. But when Luke turns him down, Amond says, your eye or your life, I believe. He says it in Fire and Blood. I believe he says it here too. Now I'm forgetting. Now I'm doubting myself. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not for sure. I'm not for sure. I'm pretty sure he says it. Uh, and then Boris doesn't let them fight, and Luke goes. And I'm a little confused because when by the time Luke gets out there, Vagar's already gone. And I don't think Amon could have got out there before Vagar. Is he gone? I just uh, we don't see him. Well, we don't see. You're right. Maybe he's lying down or something. I thought we were supposed to get the impression that Vagar had already left. Luke's walking out the front door, and Aemon's like running as fast as he can out the side door. (laughs) It doesn't. It didn't make any sense to me. But BRB Boros. I did think maybe it was like a Vagar's sensing Aemon's anger, and so he's taken to the air or something, and then he comes back. I don't know. I, I got the impression that when he put his head up when Luke arrived, it was there was like a wall separating. There is a wall, yeah. Right. And so I was yeah. wondering if yeah, we just we just don't see him right then. Maybe. But Luke gives a look over there and doesn't see him though and processes that as like, oh, where is he? 
Like, well, or yeah, you definitely, you definitely sense the urgency and like the showrunners really wanted us to feel a sense of urgency in the last episode. And I think you and I talked about how we didn't, it didn't really land for us. Yeah. This scene landed. Like I was feeling some serious anxiety uh, from the moment Luke walks out into that rain up to his dragon. I mean, I was feeling the anxiety from the moment the episode started. Because you know what's going to happen. Because we know what's yeah. coming. But they did a really good job of making it an ominous, scary, uh, we got to get out of here right now type moment. So if I can, just a quick just sidebar here. This is, to me, when I stopped watching Game of Thrones, uh, this is kind of where the downfall starts, right? So you mentioned mm-hmm. the greens and them wanting to feel a sense of urgency in that scene. Guess who wrote that scene? They did. Guess who wrote this one? George did. As soon as you start deviating from what George intends, <laughs> you run into this shit where you've got bad scenes. That Aegon chase was the biggest waste of time this whole season. In that it was probably episode. my least favorite uh, moment. Yep, I agree. And I mean, it took damn near half the episode. And what we have here is some intensity and some real drama and some some real anxiety about about this. And guess what? George wrote it. Yeah. I don't know if that's true for every scene. Uh, the showrunners have written some really great scenes that aren't in Fire and Blood. And so. That's true. That's I see fair, what you're saying. That's a fair point. Yeah. I am worried. We'll get to it in the sign off comments, maybe, but I'm worried about. I'm, I'm worried about how far off these guys will end up with hmm. some of the changes they've made, but we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. So. <clears throat> So they so they go. Uh, yeah, the book says the tragedy that befell Lucerys Valerian at Storm's End was never planned. On this, all of our sources agree. Yeah, never never planned. Like uh, Allison saying to Amon before he leaves, "Oh, and if Luke shows up, kill him." Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Luke is flying away. You feel that anxiety. It's rainy out. We get one of the coolest moments I've seen on House of the Dragon. Maybe one of those that's going to go down as one of those just iconic scenes, period, yeah. on screen. One of those shots. You know yeah. what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, with Vagar over top. Yeah. The, the shadow of Vagar? Or not the, it's, it's not a shadow. Him, it's just him through the it's clouds. him through the clouds. So it feels like, it almost feels like those scenes when you see a shark under the water and you just yeah. kind of see its hazy form, but this one's from above, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so effective. With Arax below him and how just tiny Arax is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're reading Fire and Blood, I, I didn't, I couldn't process the magnitude of the difference in size. To me, dragons are just big. We're just big. And House of the Dragon really helped me see that, the magnitude of the difference between these two dragons. Something you don't understand. I mean, they specify it very clearly in Fire and Blood. It says Vagar is five times as big as Aerax. Yeah. But sometimes even when things are described very specifically, you still can't imagine. My mind, I guess, doesn't work that way. This made it look like Aerax was a mosquito. (laughs) It's not that bad, but... Well, listen, there's a reason why billions of people love TV shows and millions of people love books. People, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, people like to imagine things when they read books. Yeah. But way more people like to see the things instead of having to imagine them. And so seeing, you know, seeing this was effective. Let's mm-hmm. say, iconically effective. Perhaps. Yeah. 
and Amond is uh, just shouting it at Lucere's egging him on. Um, I don't know how he would have heard him over the storm. Stupid thing. But... Stupid. It's one of my first complaints. <laughs> Strike one. Spectacle over accuracy. They're going for spectacle of these boys having some sort of repartee through the lashing lightning and thunder and rain. It's stupid. I, I don't think it's stupid. I, I see... I see Amond having a very cathartic moment and just yelling whether Luke can hear him or not. Yeah, but finally he's yelling, being able to have yeah. this play thing. But he's yelling things that he expects Luke to hear. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he doesn't care whether he hears him or not. I guess that's what I'm saying. Is I, at this point, it's not about Luke hearing it. I think even it's Amond just letting it all out and I'm having the time of his really mixed up life. I'm sticking with stupid, but you can you're obviously you're entitled to your opinion. I love this scene, and I don't think you do, and so that's it. what it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, mostly what I hate is what it does to Eamon, Eamon's character. I mean, the the argument that he didn't actually want to kill Lucerus is ridiculous to me. He's flying far too close for this to be a prank or just bullying. If not for Eric's very elusive move to avoid Vagar's claws they would have been crushed in the talons way before the accidental move. And Amon was very clearly doing those moves on purpose, right? Chasing after him and swooping right into him from above. Um, And you owe a debt, boy. Well, this is not how you collect a debt, right? This is... Amon very clearly is coming after this boy to kill him. And making it seem like an accident later, it just feels like we're being jerked around to me. And further, like, I know George is big on great characters, but it's okay to have villains too. Amond is a fucking villain. Just let him be a villain. Just let him be a villain. He's he's been from every every it's 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 insulting to your audience to show them a character behaving a certain way every single time you see him and then have him behave a different way one time just for, I don't know, to give him some sort of likability from people or I don't know. Go ahead. (laughs) I'm not done. I could talk about this for an hour, but go ahead. Um, and my feelings are pretty much completely the opposite of yours. Uh, I don't want to just see a black and white villain. I love seeing someone who is a little more fleshed out. And I feel like we have gotten glimpses of that, but we also get an Amond who we've come to know isn't going to think logically, is going to act irrationally, is going to come after Luke, not thinking about the consequences, taking a nuclear weapon to a schoolyard squabble. Um, and showing, uh, you can't just use a dragon to fulfill your petty whims and chase a little boy around. Um, Viserys says the idea that we control the dragons is an illusion. He said that in an earlier episode and this hammered at home. And I think that's part of what this scene was meant to do. Uh, Viserys says there are power men should never have trifled with one that brought Valyria its doom. And now we're seeing that this we're getting inklings of this could 
be this idea that men can control their dragons. It brought Valyria's doom, and now it's could potentially bring House Targaryen its doom. Um, and so I really liked that from that perspective of hammering home the idea of you can't just use a nuclear bomb to satisfy your little whims. Uh, but that's that's the thing. He's not. Amon is not using a bomb to satisfy his whims. He's using a bomb to go kill someone. That's that's, what, that's the read we have on him from day one to day this moment, right? Day one to this moment. I mean, tell me as, as soon as he claims Vagar and loses his eye, this mm-hmm. is a child bent on revenge, frankly okay. wanting to kill these children. Mm-hmm. He shows it at the dinner scene. He shows it every time he interacts with them. He's trying to intimidate and scare and put fear into them, and he wants mm-hmm. to kill them. I don't think he thinks of this as a fun little game that, oh, yeah, I've got the bigger dragon, and it's fun to terrify you. He wants to murder this kid. I don't think – I think it's somewhere in between that. I don't think he's playing a fun little game either. I don't think he's thinking. I seriously don't think Amond is thinking here. He's not planning this out. He sees an opportunity, like Damon saw an opportunity to attack the high towers. He sees – uh, Luke flying away by himself on a smaller dragon, and he chooses to pursue. I don't think he had in his mind that I'm going to have my dragon eat your dragon, but he's going to pursue, and he's just going to go after him like a road rage incident where you're not even thinking about like we just had entirely a recent incident where that happened in Salt Lake. Well, I won't get into that, but um, you just find yourself like in a road rage and you find yourself following this car and tailgating them with no thought as to what would actually happen if the guy stopped and got out of his car or something like that. You're not even thinking about it. You're just going. Just like, just like we talked about how Damon has ruminated and thought for years and decades about how to defend dragons. I get that. I get I that. I believe Amon has thought for years about how to murder these children and get revenge. I think he's thought about revenge too, for sure. And so I just think it makes him weaker that we're now putting doubt into him. Just let him be who he is. All right. He's he's a kid bent on revenge and wants to kill someone. I see what you're saying. Making an accident feels, I don't know. It's like pulling the chair out from under me when I understood this. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even call it an accident. I wouldn't, I'd call it him not even thinking. And then it happens in front of him. And he's like, Oh crap. To me, an accident would be like they were flying and they weren't playing, like they just were passing in the night. And that, that's an accident to me. And one runs into the other. That's an accident. But going in with the intent to bully someone and then mm-hmm. causing their death would be an accident. But you're you're not an you're accident. not saying that's what he did, right? Mm, no, he's going in to bully him for sure. If I came, if I came over to if I was if I'm a kid and I come over to a smaller kid. And I'm <clears throat> trying to give them a wedgie and bully them and, you know, I slap them in the face or something. And then <clears throat> I happen to, when I'm picking up the wedgie, drop them and they hit their head on a rock. Mm-hmm. That was an accident. I had no intent to, to really murder the person. Yeah. That's an accident. I'm, right? I'm defining accident a little differently and I don't think we need to squabble about it. But... Yeah. Accident to me comes across as no malicious intent at all. In the schoolyard squabble, it would be you were running with, you know, like you're running for a soccer ball or something and you 
are coming from opposite directions and you hit each other and the kid falls down and hits his head and dies. That to me is an accident. They're both accidents. Okay. And this is, this is obviously diff. I'm saying it's different than that. He's going in with the intent to bully, to hurt, to, to do whatever, but it doesn't, the magnitude of what he just did doesn't hit him until he's done it. Like the road rage incident I'm talking about. You, someone cuts you off and you're tailing them and you're following them and you get them and then you stop and all of a sudden a gun is brandished, you end up shooting the person. Then afterwards you calm down and go, oh my gosh, what did I just do? I just killed somebody, right? That just happened in Utah. I saw it on the news just the other day or just today. And so it's fresh on my mind. But that's to me kind of what happened with Amon right there. I know you don't agree with it. I think we both set our sides, but um, that's where I'm at with it. And I do think it's meant to drive home that idea of we control dragons is an illusion. Men controlling dragons is an illusion. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that part of it. Um, I don't hate that part of it. All right. Uh, it was a cool death scene. Pieces of the dragon falling out of the sky. And, and for his part, the actor playing Amon does a fantastic job. I mean, he sells it very well. Mm-hmm. I, don't, mm-hmm. I just don't believe it as storytelling. Yeah, his but, look is not one of sorrow I wrote. It's, oh, I effed up bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, not regret, but like. Yeah. yeah. My. What, is, what the, oh my gosh, what does this mean? My mom's going to be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the book does Talk. make clear that they never discovered Luke's body. Yeah. And this fits with that because his body is in Vega's belly, at least parts of it. Condal also had an explanation for Amon's the change, you know, from fire and blood, which fire and blood is very clear that mm-hmm. Amon went to murder this person. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> Condal's explanation is a little baffling to me, too. And that's maybe re- part of what leads into this for me. Hmm. I read, I don't remember where I read this. Somebody screenshotted on Twitter, I think. But he basically said, like, I just don't believe anyone that was there really knew how this happened. Right. Like, Which okay. is an excuse you can use for you anything in fire. For anything, anytime. Yeah, that's the out this show has. Yeah. It's, yeah. Which is fine. I mean, we'll get to that in my, in my sign off. It's a good out. It's a good out to have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and sometimes it works it, for people and sometimes it doesn't work for people. It is a beautifully filmed fight as well. It's gorgeous the, watching these dragons move and work against each other, and you know, flying into the little into the little narrow chasm was smart. Mm-hmm. Maybe just land there and stay for a while. But Probably, um, yeah, yeah. And then else on the fight, you know, oh. he escapes into out of the storm and into the calm, mm-hmm. and that's when Vagar comes and yeah. kills him. It's it's effective. Right? It is effective. Yeah, I don't know where, but everyone knew it was coming, right? Well, of course. Like, yeah. oh, always brightest before the dark. There you go. <laughs> <clears throat> so, the result of that action is a beautiful scene. I think a brilliant decision. Um, no words, just music in this scene. Right. Um, music and physical acting, of course. <clears throat> And who knew that Damon's news that he had tamed Vermithor would bring such a strong reaction from Rhaenyra? Because <laughs> that's what he told her, right? 
that's exactly it i how did he find out about luke before everyone else i i don't get that but yep it's okay i was wondering if that scene was actually like days after and yeah because uh damon he mentions that he's got contacts in the city watch if you know amon had already gotten back to king's landing the word had gotten out and that was reported to damon <clears throat> yeah and got back to him but I mean, they could have been expecting him back and then he didn't come back. And so they sent a raven to Boros and Boros is like, I don't know, but it didn't look like it ended well. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, something. <laughs> and it is the one moment where I talked about Damon is not good at consoling, where we get a little bit, he kind of holds her hand. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really mixed on the choice to deliver that information with their backs to us. On, on the one hand, you know, Emma does a superb job just processing this even with her back showing yeah you can her you shoulders can it's in her soul shoulders almost yeah you can see them like clenching and yeah mm -hmm. rainier very much is struggling great shoulder action <clears throat> acting and then the four and then the face when she turns around is just it's cl very clear that rainier is no longer playing games all yeah. out war destruction from here there's like a vein on their head popping out um it's like, it's gorgeous yeah they managed to somehow, she managed to somehow convey fire and also deadness. There's like a deadness in her eyes, but also a fire in her eyes. And I don't know how you do the two of those things together, but she did it. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. did it. And, yeah. and, um, it feels, it, yeah, it resigned and dead. You're right. It, it's like, it's like Rhaenyra knows she'll never feel as, as full of life again mm -hmm. and also never as angry again either and so it's like dead but also fire mm -hmm. it's you're right it's it's really cool and then on the other hand i would have really liked to see her Rhaenyra process this like again like i said i want to i want to see the human brain figuring things out and what happens behind the eyes when they're hearing this information um not just their it's, shoulders. It's yeah, it's good to be right up in an actor's grill and watch them work with their eyes to me. But mm -hmm. again, it, the result was fantastic. It's hard to complain about it. I mean, it, yeah, it, it was really well done. Agreed. That's it. That's it. That's the end of season one. Yep, that's it. That's that's the end of season one. Are we on? Are we on prediction time then? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so overall. Overall, let me ask you, Scad, what did you think of the season? I liked it. I, I liked it. I really, I really enjoyed it. It's I've, I've I talk a little bit about it. I think in my in my my sign off, but um, I think I hold it to a higher standard than anything else because I'm so invested in the material and the source material. So it makes it hard to give it like a just a joyous thumbs up. I really enjoyed it because I'm. I'm not judging it on whether I enjoy it. I'm judging it on all these other things also. Mm, mm -hmm. So I liked it. Yeah. I yeah. certainly liked it more than the you know third and fourth scenes of Game of Thrones. Right. Yep. And you? Me too. Me too. Yeah. I think for the exact opposite reason. <laughs> like you said, uh, I, I, I watch my shows to so I can feel something. That's what I look for in media I consume, whether it's music or books or whatever, especially music. But 
uh, in shows as well as, as I try to pay attention to how it makes me feel. And this show definitely made me feel so it was effective for me. I liked it. I don't a lot. think that's untrue about me either. Sure. Um, but you just said you, you went into it with high expectations for how not it... high expectations. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm holding it to a different standard. It's not just about enjoyment. It's about, it's, it's about this material that I respect. Right? Sure. So it's, it's yeah. got a different bar that it's trying to hit mm-hmm. than most. Yeah. But I think, I think the beauty of this show is in the personal conversations, the little scenes in between council meetings, the, <clears throat> the the beauty of the human condition that we see in so many of its forms that's that's where the show succeeds yeah right? i'll take those any day over dragon fights yeah, absolutely totally. which i think we've talked about before yeah. yeah so i loved it but for me too like you know how i am i can compartmentalize really well like if yes. it's not true to the books whatever i still got the book and i'll be fine yep. <laughs> <laughs> This is the most teased sign-off ever. But that's in my sign-off. Okay. We'll get, we'll get to it. And I have nothing great for a sign-off. So maybe we'll just let you do it. Um, it's certainly long enough to cover for us both. But. Okay. <laughs> so uh, should we do a Dragons After Dark? Yes. So we're now moving listeners into our spoilerific uh, chat. So hop off if you don't want to hear that or hang around. Because here we go. Dun, 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 dun. Dragons after dark. Okay, what do you got? Because I don't have too much. No, I, uh, predictions. I'm going to go order a pizza and watch Friday Night Lights now that our coverage is over. That's my <laughs> first prediction. Uh, no, I, I mean, my predictions are more broad now. They're, um, I think we talked a little bit earlier. I, I feel like this story diverges more and more character-wise from mm-hmm. some things in fire and blood and not always in a bad way it's Correct. just it's just different and it, i feel like it's further away from the core material than game of thrones was at the end of season one right i mean game of thrones the first season was very close to the book and then we know where that landed right it landed very far away particularly in that you had fleshed out characters who were you know given to us through pov chapters and yep. so it was very much like they just followed along with who Ned Stark was, with who Catelyn Tully was, as presented in the books. Tyrion Lannister, Jamie Lannister, all those people. Daenerys Targaryen. In this one, you do have the vague, not quite filled in characters where they have some of that freedom. Yep. And yep. they fill in some stuff and they change some stuff too, to your point. Where- they, but they, but I, here's, here's where my prediction might be wrong. So I've said it feels like, you know, if you, if you miss early seems like you'll miss bigger later right because things just change and change and change but the things they changed they're not the major beats like the major Correct. beats are still happening so they might it might not be out of control that way we'll mm-hmm. see um yeah to your point you know having amond not mean to kill luke in the end luke's still dead you know the the major beat is still hit that lucerius valarian is dead and probably and- even character wise Amon's going to get back probably and Mm -hmm. be a hard ass about it and be like, yeah, I killed him on purpose. What are you going to do about it? You know, like, so it won't even really change much for how his family perceives him. It's just an internal mental thing, maybe. So, um, yeah, so it might not, it might not drift too far. Uh, I think we'll all cheer when Kristen Cole dies in season two. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess, yeah. 
Yeah, probably that could be, be season, season two. two, right? I'm trying to think a timeline. It could be three. It could be three. It could be three. It takes a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Depends on what they insert. We could have a whole Stepstones episode again, right? They certainly dragged out plenty of material <laughs> for this one. <laughs> Mostly. I mean, maybe they'll spend a whole other Mostly episode effective. searching for Aegon. Mm-hmm. 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 That's when I say mostly effective. Oh, my last, my last, didn't love. Yeah, it wasn't good. My last prediction is the best one of all. I think we will get Winds of Winter before House of the Dragon season two. And I'm ready I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that. I'm ready to look foolish for it. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yep. Are you any any other predictions? Um, not particularly. None that you haven't already covered. I uh, obviously think next season's going to open with, I think it could open just on blood and cheese. Like that be could be the opening scene is blood. They skip all the parts of them scheming and then maybe they go back and kind of cover it later of Damon's like, I talked to Masaria and da, 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 da. Yeah. But I think that could be the opening scene of season two is blood and cheese opening the door into Helena's quarters. Yeah, I've, I've had a few thoughts that I think that it could just be that. That would be that would be just traumatic way to start <sighs> the season. They usually don't they usually don't go for the jugular in those first moments of a new season. Right? They might. They might. I, I wondered if it might open on Jason Winterfell, but then that would mean them skipping the Eerie. But I don't think the Eerie has the same panache that Winterfell does. Mm-hmm. And then I also thought maybe it could start with Damon and Aaron Hall. Right. Or arriving at Aaron Hall. But yeah, lots of lots of options. Lots of options. We'll see you in two years. <laughs> see you in two years. Or whatever. Yeah, or whatever it is. If we're all alive. Uh I really don't have much more than that. All right. Is this our shortest Dragons After Dark of all time? Well, it is. I mean, there's not a specific episode to talk about next, right? There was no mm-hmm. preview for it, and I think it's fair. Yep. Let's sign off. Let's sign off. I just have a really simple one, because I want to get to you. Um, you you know, at the top of the episode, Rhaenyra talked about how we make our own destiny, and you and I scoffed at that, and I, you know, my sign-off is scoffing at that a little bit, but in a nice way. Got to get back to song lyrics. Uh, they're they're indisputable. So <laughs> I'll let I'll let you do the heavy stuff. Will I just sign off saying uh, from a song by the Rocket Summer, a great little indie band, um, a song called Circa Forty Six, and the line is "Life will write the words, but you choose your own melody." Oh, that's lovely. Think oh. about that, kids. All right, now the main event. <clears throat> I don't know if it, I don't know what. Main event. I don't know if it's heavy. I think it'll mean things to some people. I think other people will just scoff at it and roll their eyes. Um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I, I think covering the House of the Dragon has been, I think it really has been a real treat. It's had its up and downs, of course. It's, you know, things that I've liked, things that I've not liked. But I have to be honest, I hold this show, kind of like I said, I hold it under a more powerful and exacting microscope than like anything else, because I love Fire and Blood so much, right? And I love the Song of Ice and Fire world so much. So the sign-up is really just to remind everyone that this is just, this show is just another version of events. Ryan Condal and Miguel Swatchknife are, they're no better than Eustace or Mushroom or Orwell or Munkin. 
It's not the true telling. It's not the how it happened version of this story. It's just another version. And don't let anybody tell you that Fire and Blood isn't the true canon because it is. It's the true book canon. Does it have unreliable narrators? Yes, it does. That's part of the point of Fire and Blood, I think, to show that histories, both real and fake, are full of unreliable narrators. Every single thing you hear from a human ever, ever, is biased by that person's own perspectives and experiences and goals. You can't escape it. Everyone does it in everything they say. What Fire and Blood does lack is a lot of detail, right? We've talked about that a lot of times. A lot of the dialogue between characters is missing. Ryan and Miguel have done a wonderful job filling that in and giving us um, the breathing a lot more life into the versions of these events, right? And Fire and Blood gave them, you know, a roadmap and they've chosen a very interesting path to follow, right? But here's the thing, Ryan and Miguel and even the love of all of our lives, George Martin, George R. R. Martin are unreliable narrators themselves. Guess what they want? They want viewers. They want clicks. They want money. They want renewal for multiple seasons. They're picking and choosing the paths to tell that they think will result in the biggest audiences that will keep watching. A true telling? The real story? I mean, what is it? It's, it's, a, it's a capitalist-inspired story. It's a media company-inspired story. It's the version they think can sell the best. So they're just like Gildane indicates. They're doing their best to sell a story. So they pick the elements that they think will best sell it. So stop thinking Ryan and Miguel are any better than Mushroom. They're just selling a version of the story meant to accomplish a goal. Eustace wants to protect the Tar- Targaryen name. Orwell wants to protect his head. Mushroom wants to convince everyone he has a huge penis. Everyone has their own motivations. And Ryan and Miguel want their paycheck and for the show to continue. The show is the show. The books are the books. Nothing that happens in either invalidates the others. They're just different flavors of the same story. That's it. I agree with that. Parallel universes. I love it. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for listening to me rant. I haven't done a proper scad rant in a long time. I loved most of it. So (laughs) (laughs) most. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Yep. Good job. See you in a while. Okay. Bye. Good night. Thank you.